Uh, welcome to Get It Raw. Another this episode. is our pod, uh, another episode. I don't know what number we're on, but 12, 13, 14. Yeah, um, we're here today with, with a friend of mine, uh, Ken Diesel. And so welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. We're glad to have you. Um, Ken is a, uh, a, a personal trainer, right? Uh, yeah. Is there a different title? Absolutely. I do personal training as well as operate a gym here in Fort Myers, Florida. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I met him when I, I did a week at, at a different gym that he was at. He's at a new gym now, but um, I was really impressed. I was impressed with the program, uh, with the workouts, um, the attention to detail. I've done several other, or not several others, but I did the other, one of the other ones in town. Um, and I wasn't nearly as impressed. Like we were doing the same stuff almost I did a month with them every week. I'm like, oh man, we're not doing any, it just seems so basic, so much more basic, but you guys really, you, I mean, you pulled out, you had bikes, rowers, uh, the sled, um, and a lot and, and kettlebells, dumbbells, they had that, they had, and, uh, other weights, but we hardly varied it. So I was really impressed and, and I thought it would be a great to bring you on. Thank you. I appreciate it, gentlemen. What's the name of the gym? So the name of my gym is ATP Fitness. ATP for adenosine triphosphate. Uh, right. So literally energy. Nice. Um, and that's kind of become like a, a little marker of my training style is the energy that I bring to the session. Okay. Um, I like to bring energy, but I like to bring knowledge and, and teachability to, to my sessions as well. So it's um, it kind of represents all of what I what I bring as a trainer. All right. So go ahead and like uh, talk about like what you offer, what you do. What do you want to talk about? Well, at, at ATP, what we offer is functional training classes. What, what kind of what you experienced, mm -hmm. Joe? Um, that forty-five minute format with a uh, with a particular training split that keeps the the client on a steady progression. That's what I call the training split of progression. Um, we offer that daily at ATP Fitness Monday through Saturday. And we also offer ex what I call exclusive and semi-exclusive training. So exclusive training is what you would normally consider personal training one-on-one -on -one with the client. Right. And then semi-exclusive would be me with two other clients or up to four clients. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as far as that's concerned, you're talking about functional training. Can you go a little bit more into that and explain that? Absolutely. So the training modality that I hone in on, my, my original certification that that really got me to shift my paradigm, so to speak, was called WEC method. And I'm a WEC, what they call a WEC method qualified trainer. Um, but it also, it, it, it kind of sent me on a journey, if you will. And that's when I started to begin to dive into what's called GOTA, G-O-A-T-A, which is the acronym for greatest of all time athletes or greatest of all time actions. And those, both of those training methodologies, they focus on locomotion as the focal point of the training philosophy. So whereas you look at some facilities that you go to, they focus on fat loss or they focus on power, you know, in the general sense, this particular training mo modality, specifically um, GOTA in particular, it hones in on sound locomotive movement because that is the one property as a human being, right? That we want to carry for the rest of my, our lives. My mantra is that if I live to be a hundred, if I live to be 80, the day before I die, I want to be walking and I want to be walking well. And mm -hmm. if, if I, if I have that as my philosophy, then my training should look like that. It should represent that. Okay. So, uh, as far as the locomotion is concerned, how, uh, go a little bit more. Well, first off, yes, sir. I want to start like this. How did you go down this path? How did, what made you, uh, want to go into fitness and health? Um, it was, it was out of necessity actually. 
Um, I went through, I, I've been an athlete my whole life, essentially. I, I went through, a, um, when I was in college at the University of South Florida, I ran track and field for a couple of years and ended up running for about three years before I had a, a brain surgery. I ended up, the event that led to the brain surgery, I had some symptoms and whatnot, but the, the culminating event was I was at a track meet, a home track meet at my um, school of University of South Florida in Tampa and crossed the finish line and collapsed. And upon the, in the wake of that, I ended up finding out that I had a brain cyst. They call it an arachnoid brain cyst. And it's a congenital birth defect, but it typically goes unnoticed for a period of time. My case was a little bit unusual because they usually find it a, a bit earlier than the age I was. I was approximately like 19 years old at this time, 19 or 20. But because I had been an athlete my entire life, my pain threshold and my tolerance for, for the cyst, it, it kept growing and growing and growing. So the cyst grew as I grew. And then when I got about 19 and 20 years old and I stopped growing physically, the cyst kept growing. And then that's when I began to experience the symptoms that I began to experience. Um, the first few symptoms that I would notice were like these blurry spots in my vision. Um, and then later on, I ended up experiencing symptoms such as memory loss and what they call syncope. I, had, I used to have syncopal episodes where I would pass out or black out. And uh, you're saying syncope. Yes, sir. Syncope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I would, um, I would have a period of time where I just, it would be a blur, you know? So even, even now when I look back into my life, it's particularly when I was going through the phases, I ended up having a second brain surgery later, a few years later, but throughout that, those period of times, even as I look back, I have blurs in my, in my memory that I just don't remember. I'll see, right. I'll, sometimes, sometimes I'll meet people that I'll read you know, they'll reintroduce themselves to me that I knew from back in the period of time, or I'll see a photo and I'm like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I kind of remember you, but you know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's all, some of that is just a big blur. Um, people that I saw daily, like family, you know, I obviously remember them, but like distant relatives that maybe I've only seen a couple of times or friends that I met during that time period, it's, it's, it tends to be like a hit or miss as far as memory is concerned. Oh man. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow. Jeez. But to answer your question, how I got into that was um, being an athlete my whole life. I had um, I had that episode happen, and then I went into training because when I when I got diagnosed, and it was probably from that first critical incident where I collapsed at the track, it would have been about another eight or nine months before I had my first of two brain surgeries. And in that period of time, I went from being extremely active as an athlete, right? I was, a, I was a track athlete. You remember like, I remember like Michael Phelps and them showing like how much he used to eat a day. Yeah. And like, it's like 10,000 calories a day. Like I, I wasn't on the Michael Phelps level, but I was, I was up there. It wasn't like a normal 2000 calorie a day diet. You know, I'm, I'm consuming five to 6,000 calories a day, but I'm also burning them off right. because of the, the track regimen, waking up first thing in the morning, doing that and then a daily weightlifting regimen and then you know when you're when you're on a campus typically you're on your feet a lot you know so right. you're, you're right. moving around you're on your feet um so I was, I was burning a lot of calories but i was also consuming a lot of calories and then i abruptly went from that to being sedentary and yeah. one of the one of the symptoms of the brain cyst was light sensitivity so there would be a period of time where i was in college where i would literally spend days and days in a closet or literally like in my, in my dorm room and I would black out the curtains so that no sunlight could get in, you know? So the more darkness I had, the more, um, the more peace I would have as far as not having the onset of headaches or migraines. Once a headache set in or a migraine set in, I would have it for weeks on end, you know? Right. So it was one of those things that I took extreme preventative measures just that way I didn't have to deal with the, the symptoms as much as possible, try to mitigate them as much as possible. But 
when I gained the weight, so there was a weight gain process. I went from about 180 pounds, which was my competition weight in track and field. I remember at one point getting to almost 190 and my track coach at USF, he was like, dude, you gotta, you gotta cut, you gotta cut the fat a little bit, you know, you're a little, because the lighter you are, the, the typically the faster you are right, is right. the general consensus. What did you, uh, what did you run? I was, when it was all said and done, I was a decathlete. But oh, I, okay. yes, sir. But I specialized in hurdles and sprints. Yeah. So my my main my my main like highest accolades, if you will, um, back when they when there was a Big East conference, mm-hmm. I was on a four our four by one hundred team, and I we got a silver medal in the Big East conference nice. my junior year or my sophomore year, and my freshman year, um, I was the men's athlete of the year uh, from from my track team. And I, that, that year I mainly competed, competed in the 110 hurdles and the 400 meter hurdles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when I, um, when I ended up gaining the weight uh, leading up to that first brain surgery, um, and right after I was almost about 270 pounds, approximately 270 pounds. So you're talking about almost a hundred pounds. Yeah. So you went from being like a a world-class athlete to being really fit, right. To being to being overweight and it wasn't just the weight, right? I was depressed. And sure. here I was, there was, there, there was the, there was the superficial level of, okay, here's a sport that I've ran my whole life. I started running track when I was about six, you know, I, like my parents used to joke with me. I was like, Hey, you like, you learned to run before you could walk, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I went from literally over a decade of investing my time and my energy into this activity and the sport to having it like nixed out of my life, almost like in an instant. So there was that level of depression of like, hey, you know, you can't do what you used to do anymore. But then there was that added level of you literally physically cannot do these other activities because it's going to have a it's going to have a negative effect on your brain and on your body at the time. And you're also suffering from light sensitivity. Yes, and possibly sir. going through seasonal depression. Yes. And yeah. And so, so now we're, so you got all of these, all these factors that's coming in and it was almost like a, a little storm, if you will, that just hit me all at once. And I, I would, I could tell you that I wasn't very prepared for it. I don't know many who would be because right. it was, it was just yeah. a surprise. There was a lot of emotional things that, that came out of it. But the big thing was, is that after that, after that brain surgery, I'm looking at myself and I'm, I don't recognize myself. I've never looked like this in my entire life. And it became a reality that getting the weight off of me, right. wasn't, it wasn't just about the weight, right. There was these other things that I would have to sift through, but getting the weight off of me was one thing and it was difficult in itself. And as I tried to do it on my own, it it just became like this daunting task. So I hired a personal trainer. It was probably the most humbling experience that I, I had ever had up until that point was to like look at myself and this thing that I based my identity around being fit, being an athlete. I wasn't that anymore. And if I was going to try to have any semblance of that, then I was going to need to get some help, you know, and that's what started the process of me getting into the training paradigm. Um, at the time, I was a political science major. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had, I, I had assumed that I was going to be in shape my whole life. And then, Hey, I'm just going to go into politics or do, right. you know, do something great on a local, on a local community level, um, when it came to getting involved in the politics. And then that happened. And then it just began to inch my paradigm towards the most important factor is wellness, right? If I'm not well, then none of these other things matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Leading, you know, so I, I had a stint in the military um, for for was three that, years. Hold on, was that before the before that college? Was after, after the brain, that was after the brain surgery and after my stint in college. I'm technically still in college now. Um, I never, <laughs> <laughs> I never got my degree. Um, but um, and I, I, I changed my majors a couple of times. But um, after my stint at USF, I should say, that's when I I got some I got in shape. 
got some waivers and I got accepted into the military. And then upon um, getting accepted into the military, as far as getting approved to go in, I selected my MOS or my occupational specialty. And then based off of my occupational specialty, it opened doors for me to volunteer to um, go into certain units. And I opted almost immediately after getting into the military, opted to go into special operations. And that was probably the next most challenging and um, rewarding and revealing aspect of my life up until that point, um, including the brain surgery. And so when that happened, um, I was in the military. So I ended up having a second brain surgery while I was in the army. And that, I, that when that happened, I had this very similar um, symptoms. It, it looked a lot like when I, what happened when I was in college. However, when I approached it that time around, I knew better than to fall into the trap of using food as a antidote for my depression or, or going into that space. So it challenged me at that point to use what I had went through before to change, to, to attack it from a different perspective and to use different means of dealing with the, you know, there, I, I would say like, even at that point, I, I wouldn't even classify myself as having depression, you know, going through the brain surgery the second time around. But there were these depressive factors, right, that that you would, you know, naturally deal with when you go from having certain abilities and being able to do certain things to now your lifestyle is like greatly affected from it. So, so I you went, were depressed. I um, you probably you probably went through a little depression. Yeah. So I, yeah. I would say this, right? The the factors were there, right. but my response to them was completely different. Sure. So in, in, in from my perspective in my own life, in my own body, that ain't depression. Because I because I think depression requires allowing it to suppress you, right? And if 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 if, if the attack came or if the factors came into my life, but I responded to them differently or I did or I did not allow them suppress me or depress me, then I don't I can't I can't really identify like that identify like that in my heart. Um either that or maybe uh you used, you know, good old fashioned diet and fitness to like help I, and I treat was, you. And I would say that that definitely was a factor. Right. Um so in and in and in all of this, right, there's like so many different, if you can imagine so so many different things. Cause I had a I had my stint with, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, right? Which I like I, I now I don't take any farm any um prescribed pharmaceuticals or anything like that. But there was like there's this there's this uh journey with that as well. There was this journey with relying on um how much am I relying on modern medicines to alleviate my symptoms and how much am I going to take my health into my own hands and how much am I, am I willing to put into somebody else's? Mm -hmm. So there was these, there was these other factors that was flowing around at the same time. But, um, to answer your question, how, cause I, it's like bringing it all over because I got to get yeah. into the, to the go to thing, right. Bringing it all the way around to when I got into training and I got into the field of training, what opened me up was the first brain surgery and realizing I needed a trainer. Right. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I had the second brain surgery, and it ended my stint in the military, I realized that as I um, was going through, and I guess I should dive into the, the pharmaceutical part. So my second, my first well, research. Well, let's, mm -hmm. let's take a break. Yes, sir. Um, when you first had the surgery, mm -hmm. how, how long did it take you to recover? And you said that you had gained, you know, you got up to 270. Mm -hmm. So did you drop that weight when you? Uh, Before I went into the army? Yeah. Yes. So I had, I had. I dropped most of the weight. You are, so I, I aged a bit, right? So as we get older, our natural like weight goes up, right? Like to the weight that you could carry a little bit, especially if going from 19 to 21. I was 20 mm -hmm. when I, 21 when I went into the, to the army. So over those couple of years, I, um, I lost the weight, 
my weight went down to about 210 pounds. Okay. So when I, when I went into the army, I was 210 pounds. And then um, throughout the second brain surgery, I never went above 225 pounds. And how did the recovery go for the brain surgery that you it was time. mostly cognitive. So um, the brain, so I had the brain surgery and the first time I experienced like relief instantly, like when I woke up from the brain surgery, I was like, wow, like this is a difference. I could, I have this dichotomy of what my, what my perception and my perspective and how I can experience my body was before, before the brain surgery. And really because it was, the cyst was always there. You know, I never noticed that, that something was wrong. Right. And so things got bad towards the end of that, right before that first brain surgery. And then on the flip side, I noticed just the clarity. If I, if I had to get one word to really describe the difference, just I had a lot more clarity, a lot more focus, a lot more clarity on, um, on the flip side of, of having that first brain surgery. And I felt that almost instantly. Okay. Um, there was some rehabilitative protocol and honestly, um, I was it's supposed to take uh, like a, a few weeks to a month. I was out of the hospital within the first week. My recovery was like extremely speed, speedy. So you didn't have any problems with like motor volitional control or any problems with sensation, any problems with, you know, balance and coordination, anything like that at all? A bit, a bit with balance, but no, most of it was like memory, vision, um, the mm -hmm. cyst, it was on my left, uh, it was, it's a left, it's called a left ventric ventricular arachnoid cyst. So it's sitting on the frontal lobe on the left side of my brain. So mainly it would, it would affect my memory, it would affect my vision. Um, that's pretty much the extent of it, you know, with the migraines and X, Y, and Z. But, um, as far as like, motor function my motor function was never really affected by it okay. other than the fact that like hey if you got a if you got a migraine you physically don't want to do much right. you know but it's not it wasn't physically keeping me from you know moving or doing any type of movements or like that um what oh what i was gonna say was that if i went when i went um so you're, you're recovering right yes sir and then you went from that you didn't finish you didn't finish college no. you said i'm gonna go right into the military, I'm gonna go into the military yeah. what, what, what was that decision like you instead of like taking finishing your degree and becoming a politician you said uh, i don't want to waste my time with that i'm gonna go serve my country it, it was uh yeah and honestly like so a lot of people say like hey you know like that right like i'm gonna go serve my country that became i became more i, I never be, i never was um more patriotic then like up until that point, then going through the military process and like understanding, right? But before that, I'd be I'd be lying to you if I said like, yeah, I just had this this streak of patriotism and let me go go into the army. It was out of necessity. Um, at that point, I had just gotten married to my my first ex wife, but I got <laughs> I had just I had just gotten married and we had two kids. You know, we we have two kids together, and so it was just it was practical. I needed to provide for my family. And so even like the getting in shape and losing the weight, like I had the motivation of like, Hey, like these student loans are going to rack up if I just stay in school and, and finish okay. this up. So let me look at a more viable option. You know, are you still an athlete? Can you still do these things? I, yes. You know, like I was always the guy that could do 40 pull-ups at any point, at any given point, you know, so the military and, and being raised in the environment that I was raised in, it was always like a, a militaristic type of environment. So just the military was just kind of a, it just made sense from a practical perspective, the patriotic streak and, and all that, it came throughout the process. And I think that's kind of what it's designed to do. I think you should, I think you should have this inherent love for the country that you live in, right? That's, I think that should be innate, right? But 
going through the process of serving your country, it should, your level, your level of patriotism and your level of love for the country that you serve should grow because you're serving it. You know? I so, hope so. But I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. at you right now and, and you look like you're 19. You, yeah. know? you look like you're in your twenties. So something's working, but, uh, um, it's hard to well, believe that you had all was all this. What's that? Well, how long ago was all this, or how old are you now? So I'm, I'm I turned 32 this month. Okay, yeah, you look, and, so, look great. And, thanks, thanks. Um, and then I, so my first brain surgery, I was 20, uh-huh. and then went through the went through the rehab, lost the weight. When I enlisted into the army, I was 20, just shy of 22. I was 21 and a half technically. Sure. Um, so it was it was May of 2011 when I went into when I went into the army. You were okay. still a baby though. Yeah. Yeah. I was a kid. I I mean, like, I didn't know what I didn't know at at that point. Um, and the military, if you're not ready for it, it could like, it could take you through the ring of a lot of things. I, I took my marriage through that part, you know? So like, that's, that's to say that like, you know, when you, when you focus in on certain aspects of it, you could kind of, you know, the reason why I went into the military was like my marriage and, you know, like support my wife, support my kids. But then it kind of like you, I lost focus when I got into where like, Oh man, like, I mean, this is the lifestyle and like, I'm accepted. And like, here's like, I could be, my athleticism can be used for something good again. And it's just kind of like, it, it shifted my focus a little bit. And, um, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. But, um, so now when, so if you fast forward a few years, well, then before I get, so I went into special operations, I, I assessed for special operations and the unit that I was in, it was called 160th. They did basically, I was in aviation and my occupational job was to work on helicopters. And this particular unit that I was in, it was a special operations unit that only had helicopters. They had these specialized helicopters for the army. They had at the time that I was in there, they had three different helicopters. And basically these helicopters, if you look at them from a normal and a regular army perspective, they're just helicopters. But ours in this particular unit, they would be blacked out. They would have weapon systems on them when they normally wouldn't. And I, my job was to repair and work on a certain system in the helicopter. Part of the job was to be prepared for what they call um, combat. So the, the aspect of my position was to repair the helicopter and also be prepared to have a door gunner position on the helicopter if necessary. And our job- This, this is awesome, man. You're like badass. You're the guy hanging out off the, like the edge of the helicopter. With the mini with, gun sitting off the, sitting off the side 50 of cal, right? Yes. 50 yeah. 50 cal, lighting <laughs> shit up. <laughs> with the trace around and uh-huh. night, all the missions were night, night missions. So our, our unit, our unit um, mascot is called a night stalker. Our unit motto is called night stalkers don't quit. And all of our missions would be in the dark. So we had to get our training was in the dark. The um the hardest thing when people I, I train athletes now and I'll get that question like coach like what's the hardest thing you ever had to do like athletically wise and it wasn't in the sport like it wasn't the hard it was getting it was the assessment process to get into that unit it's called green platoon it's called enlisted green platoon but it was about a six week process and it was like you I learned a lot but it was the most you know challenging thing that I physically done in my body um more challenging than losing the weight but i also feel like losing that weight after being in shape my whole life it set me up to be able to tackle that that task we started off um in my class we graduated about 17 people graduated out of 80 people that started the class you know so the the attrition rate is super high but it's made to make you quit so they know who's who's gonna stay in the strong of the strong correct right correct let me ask you this Mm -hmm. You ever have like an incident where you're like you know, you're gunning shit down and everything, and you're you're trying to like rescue you know other like you know soldiers and whatnot, and they jump on it. One guy's like behind, you got people shooting at you, and you hang out and you're holding them by one hand, <laughs> and, <laughs> off, and you know and you're like, ah, 
yeah, I mean, and you pull them up. That stuff, like it, it happens. Yeah, uh, I never experienced that. It happens, but you know what? Uh, it ain't as it ain't as common as you think. You know, like most of it, most of it was me just doing my job as a helicopter mechanic. You know, yeah. so, and then you know the other stuff like we would do. It the, the most I would say this. The most fun and like we call uh swoopy. That's the word for it, right? We call it like how, how what kind of swoopy stuff did you get to do? Oh, is that what? Yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah. <laughs> so you got a new word. Yeah, right? I mean, but, no, no, it's a new one for me. Yeah. But like the, the, the most swoopiest things that I used to do was in the training, right? Uh -huh. now, like so like it was just fun. You know, it was it was it, it um you learn how to land navigate, you learn how to move in the dark, you learn combatives. One of the other cool things is that I was my regiment. So we had four regiments. One uh First and second battalion is in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Third battalion was where I was in Savannah, Georgia. And fourth battalion is in Fort Lewis, Washington. At the time, I was just a trainee. I had my assignment to go to Savannah, Georgia as third battalion. However, they um in the training process, we had this we had, you know, you go through different phases. So you had land navigation, you learn weapons, right? So you have to be proficient. Um, you have to actually be proficient with the our normal American weapons, like the M4 and the M9, but you also had to learn to be proficient in the AK-47 as well for practical reasons. Yeah, I just have a I picture mean. of you like, Holding somebody by one hand, you pull them up. There's somebody coming, you're out of bullets, and you throw a fucking wrench at somebody. And Come okay. on, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, with and, that and, being and said. Somehow that wrench comes back, you know? <laughs> with that being said, you do, we call that neutralizing, right? Yeah, okay. You do find, See, you do, you do find some creative ways to neutralize uh, your, okay. your opponent, your enemy, right? You're a badass, man. You're a total fucking hero. But you never, like, you never really look at it like that when you're in the mix. Uh, no. With the exception of, like, oh, we're going through these different phases of training, and combatives was part of it. They call it MACP, Model Army's modern army combatives program and our our group our class at that time it maybe was about 20 of us left in the in the training process of of going through special op, special ops and we did a little tournament and they broke us down into lightweights middle medium weights and heavyweights and for, for, you know, I, I was I used to watch UFC going into the army, right? And I'm like, okay. yeah. And at this point, I was a John Jones fan, so like John Jones oh, was my was my yeah. dude. And um, he's still the dude. This, man. Come on, he's still and the dude. He's still the dude, yeah, man. Right. And then like even back then, I think like Brock Lesnar was like, you know, he had his little stint. So it's like, just so when I used to think heavyweight, I used to think like Brock Lesnar, right? right. And I get into the I did into the combatives part. I'm like, yeah, uh, McDaniel, what size are you? You're like two ten. He's like, yeah, you're a heavyweight. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so no more. Up against, so there's other guys in my class that are true heavyweights. They're like above the 225 yeah. mark, right? Yeah. And um, we had a combatives tournament within our class, within these, within our class. And I think there might have been eight heavyweights, and then they broke the rest up into their little divisions. And I ended up winning. I, I lost. A, I, it was double elimination, but I lost a match, and then I ended up winning our little class tournament. Well, it just so happened, and this is in 2012, around Mayish. So if I'm putting the timeline right, but at the same, at the, around the same time as we're in training. So I hadn't graduated and officially gotten my, my red beret and my, and my pen yet. And my regiment. So you got the four battalions creates a regiment, right? Our regiment had, uh, and they do this annually. It's called the week of night stalker activity. So they just bring just that name. I'll show you the logo when we, when oh, we get out, but it's, it's pretty, it's, I love it. You know, it's, it was, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Um, but we, we had the, the week of night stalker activity where we brought everybody in from all four regiments. And, and so it's, it's really a memorial, right? So we, so to, to respect the, the fallen night stalkers, um, because a lot of the missions happen where, and we would do missions where we would care for, and our customers, we call them, our customers are special operation forces. So typically we wouldn't work with a, a regular 
military unit, but these are specialized units that needed like specialized service for their specialized missions. Mm. So we, in, in over the, over the years, since our, our regiment was activated, you know, we've lost soldiers in these type of missions alongside with this special, other special forces and special operation forces. Right. And so we have this week of night stalk activity that they would bring in and we would show, you know, we, we would show honor and respect to our fallen soldiers, our fallen comrades. And, part of this experience they had there for the first time the our regiment's commander wanted to do a combatus tournament a regiment-wide combatus tournament right so um i don't know if you guys ever dragon ball z but like it's one of my favorite like anime shows and like they, they used to do these like tournaments in dragon ball z where like hey you know what from every ga- corner of the galaxy bring them all in and that's what like the regiment of tournament <laughs> yeah. felt like like you know what first second first and second battalion third battalion like bring your best bring them on in and we want you to enter into the combatus tournament it just so happened that when I was in that class tournament in my little trainee class, trying to become a night stalker, right? We had a, um, we had a, uh, one of our NCOs come to us and say, Hey, out of all the people that won, so it was three of us, the, the, the lightweight middle. And he said, out of all the people that won, how many of you would like to enter into the regimental tournament? And I'm like, let's go. Like, you know, <laughs> and I, I mean, like I always had this, you know, as a kid, I always had this, like this thing about me where I was like, I just jump in. Like, I don't really analyze things too much. I just go in and it's been to my detriment sometimes, but it's like, it's, it's, it's played out favorably a lot of times too, more often than it didn't. So that's why I kept reinforcing this behavior. So I jumped in, I volunteered and long story short, I go through and I'll show y'all a couple of pictures if I, if I find them on Facebook, but I, I, I entered into the tournament. It was a double elimination tournament. The first match I lost, and I lost the I lost the match to our, my combatives instructor in the train in my trainee. Oh, that's not oh, fair. Yeah, yeah. that's like yeah. the first person. Like, to think yes, about. exactly. <laughs> so I'm looking at, but it's like I've lost before. You know, like right. like I'm, I'm, I'm not this undefeated person in life. So I'm like, okay. And literally, I went from I. So it was four more matches that I had up into the championship match, right? So I, I won the first one, won the second one. I actually I beat I beat. A, a dude that um, was an officer, which was like really cool. Cause they, they didn't matter what rank you were, everybody goes into this tournament. So here I am. And so the rules of the tournament real quick. So it was, it was like, a, uh, it was modern armament combative rules. So you could kick, you could strike. We had these little pads, shin pads, thin shin pads. And we didn't have gloves because we couldn't do a knuckle strike, but we could, we could slap. So we could do an open palm slap at any, like where there was stand up on the ground. And I'm, and I'm thinking like how I grew up, we used to be in the street, what we call slap boxing, right? Mm-hmm. And you just got to stay in this little circle. And if you lead a circle, you lost and you just, you just dodging and slapping the crap out of each other. Right. So like, I'm thinking about this and I'm like slap boxing. Like, this is like, I was I was prepared for this in my life. Like, this is, this, right. let's go. She's like, I'm destined. The most exhilarating feeling up until that point was slapping the shit out of an officer. <laughs> it was, it was, because you can never do that in the army. Right. It would never happen. Right. You out. It, 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 it. So it was like, man, I could slap this dude and not get in trouble for it. Let's go. And so that was the, that was actually the match before the championship match. And then the championship match, who do I face? The instructor that beat me in the first match. You just slapped his ass? I slapped the taste out of him, <laughs> right? So the match, and I'll briefly just go through the match, but he ended up taking me down. I'm on my back, right? And I remember this. They called it a uh, arm trap and roll. Arm trap and roll was the maneuver I did. So I did an arm. He was he had my mount. He was mounting me, right? And he had, he hit. Oh, and you could do a fist, closed fist to the body. So anything below the, the neck, you do a closed fist. 
This Got dude it. hit me in my ribs and I felt mm-hmm. my soul leave my body for a split second. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what jumped in. When it jumped back into me, I was, <laughs> I was pissed. I arm trapped and rolled this dude and I was within his guard. So he's he's got his legs wrapped. I'm in his guard and I just go to town. I just started slapping his left and the right, the left and the right. Now, in that moment, and I never really tell people about this about a story, but you have these flashes, especially when you're allowed to, man, I'm getting chills now. When you're allowed to let your anger and your rage out, mm-hmm things flash because that anger and that rage doesn't just surface in that moment. It comes from somewhere else. And mind you, this kind of brings the story full circle. I had growing up, I, I love my father. Um, we have a great rapport and relationship now. When I was growing up, he was, he was a lot more violent. Um, domestic violence was a regular occurrence in my childhood growing up. The cyst that I had was a congenital birth defect. I didn't find out until after the surgery or after the diagnosis, um, talking to my mom, talking to some relatives, understanding what was going on when my mom was actually pregnant with me. So there's some things that happened and some incidents that happened that is just putting the two and two together. Like, do I have the forensic evidence to show you and lay it out? No, but in my well, heart you of feel, hearts- You feel like the domestic violence- It was, it was contributed to the cyst, absolutely. It, it doesn't, there, there has to, and the doctor, when the doctor asked me upon the diagnosis, he was like, hey, did you have any abnormalities when you were in the womb? That was like the first thing. And my mom was there and she's just in tears, bawling, like crying, crying, crying. And like, I'm her only child. So at, it's starting to click to me like, okay, I get it, right? And I went through some things and not, not to say like it wasn't a linear thing to where like me and my dad just had this great relationship. All mm-hmm. Like there was some ups and downs, some, bo- some bobs and weeds through there. But in that moment, when I'm slapping the shit out of this, this NCO, he was an E6. Yeah, he was an E6 and I'm an E3 at this point. Um, all of that's flashing. You know what I mean? Like I get this emotion because I, I never, I tell the story about me winning the, the regimental tournament, right? And being mm-hmm. the first, I'm, I am the first if you ever look it up, the night they do this every year, they should be still doing this every year, but I'm the first one's a heavyweight combatist champion. And I wasn't even a night stalker at that point. I was still a trainee technically. I didn't graduate for another couple of weeks. But in that moment, before I won that championship, before they put the medal around my neck, everything flashed, everything flashed. All those episodes, like, because the, the violence didn't just stop when my mom was pregnant with me. Like it continued like early right. into my childhood, all the way, they divorced when I was about 11 or 12. You know, so I saw these, I saw these things and it just all came out. It all came out. And this, this E6 on the bottom of me, for whatever reason, I guess it was must have been when he punched me in my ribs. But when, when he brought that out of me, it was like, it was all in that moment. Uh, we had a good moment after that. Like I, I remember his name and everything. We haven't had contact since, but I remember after this, after the tournament, and we go back to our barracks because, like, I'm a trainee. I gotta go back to the barracks. Yeah. Right. So, so it's like, like yeah, uh, it's like that movie. I don't know if y'all seen this movie. It's called uh, Undisputed. There's like a second Undisputed. But the guy's in prison. He wins a. He wins like wins this tournament, this boxing tournament, and he gotta go back to prison after he wins the tournament, right? Like, I gotta go back to the barracks, right? And I'm back. I'm going back into the barracks and waiting outside. And this dude, his face is like. I beat him. I slapped him bloody. I must have slapped him at least uh, two dozen times. Like just, and I'm I'm talking about heel of palm, just just following through, following through inside of his guard. His guard lets go, and I'm just I finish him off. He goes limp, and then the the I thought I was disqualified because the way that the the referee he was also a nice target. That's all nice targets. And the ref, the way he just tackled me and knocked me over. I was like, oh man, what did I do now? You know, what did I do now? But. Um, in reality, he was just stopping me from slapping him anymore. When I, when I walk him back to the barracks after the tournament, he's standing, the guy that I beat, the NCO, the, the E6, he's standing. You can still see like the spots where like the, the blood was coming out of his face. And he's like, McDaniel, right? And that's my, that's my government last name, by the way, if you hear McDaniel. Okay. But he's, he's like, McDaniel, come here. And I'm like, oh 
oh man, like this dude gonna he gonna he gonna want a real fight right now. And and I and I was prepared. I was like, hey man, we can do this again if you want. So I guess I guess that's it for my music career. And he reaches out his hand. I I have so much respect for this guy because I did not like him. Like you 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 have this thing where you got like your your train the the people who are over you as, as a trainee. You look at him and like, ah, I kind of like him, and you have an affinity for him. Or so like, I just don't. And we have that as humans, right? We like the people that we gravitate towards and people that we don't. And this particular, I just didn't like him. I just, like, I just, I just didn't like him. No man. And and then so he reaches out his hands and he says, "McDaniel, that was that was a hell of a fight." And it was just in that moment. It that that taught me a lot, even in that moment of, about humility, you know, because that's not easy to do. That's no, not easy to, you know, no, and I got so much respect for that dude. I, I, I remember his name. I haven't talked to him since that moment. I shook hands with him. I looked him in his eyes, and I never saw the guy again. But that's respect. Though, that's right so there, much respect. Man. That's for so much sure. respect. And honestly, too, brother, it, it, it showed me. I'm getting chills, bro. You see it. Um, but it, it, it showed me a lot about what, what that was about, about being in the unit, about mm -hmm. serving in the military. It was like, and, and, and I didn't, I didn't really fully soak it in till, till later on in the wake of it. Cause in that moment, I was like, yeah, yeah, I just want to turn, you know, like you still, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're still on cloud, man. You can't really appreciate of that, what just happened, but that was a huge part of it. That was a huge part of me just realizing like, man, this is what service is all about. If you got to take an ass whooping and route to serving, then so be it because it's about the service. It's not about being a winner necessarily and um that was that was a that was a huge pivotal moment in my life at that point um if i fast forward a couple more years i ended up having a second brain surgery so i had these syncopal episodes start happening again and my longest blackout or my syncopal episode was about 24 hours where i had this whole day that elapsed that i had no idea what happened in that daytime during that 24-hour period and um ended up having a second brain surgery and this time i was in savannah georgia in, in the third battalion and I was at the uh, Savannah Neurological Institute was where I had the surgery from. I I had never heard of it before then, mm -hmm. but it was an incredible facility. The the doctors there was incredible. My neurosurgeons, um, I like was wasn't was phenomenal. It was a different neurosurgeon than the first brain surgery, but because the army doesn't have, they have neurologists, you know, for you know to check your cognitive functions and whatnot, but they don't have neurosurgeons right. at, at their disposal just mm -hmm. ready to do. So they always outsource. They might have changed that now, but I don't think so. I don't think they should either. But they they outsource it to a private person to to do that type of procedure. Right. And so um, I had that procedure done, and shortly thereafter, I, I was out of the army. But the thing was is that. After that second brain surgery, that neurosurgeon said, McDaniel, or he said Kendall, because they always call you by the first. Was, that, was a, that was a weird thing, too. But he said, you never, um, we can't give you another brain surgery. You know, like you can't just keep coming and getting a brain surgery if something happens. But you shouldn't need one anyway. And the, what happened in the wake of that was that I would start experiencing um, hypertension, right? So mm -hmm. it's just, it, started, it just came up with this, with this high blood pressure. And before the surgery, they had always attributed my hypertension to the cyst. But here we are after the surgery and my, my blood pressure is like steadily going up. Um, I think the normal blood pressure is like 120 over 80. My, the 120 would be the bottom number and it'd be like 240 over 120. It'd be like 200 over 120. So it's like some ridiculous. So, and when I went to, when I actually went to the hospital that led up to everything that led up to the second brain surgery, they actually looked at my blood pressure. Like, how are, anytime we've seen this type of blood pressure, the person's like coding, right? Like, how, we don't understand like how you're literally like talking to us coherently right now. Mm -hmm. But I just always attributed that to my high pain threshold and everything that I just experienced growing up. But in the in the wake of that, and before me exiting the military um, on my way out, I had I was on three blood pressure medications. I can name them all. 
lisinopril, propanolol, and metoprolol in increasing dosages. It started like, they started off with like 10 milligrams and then they just keep going up, up, and up. I had a medicine that they would tell me to take. It's like, if you think you're about to feel a, a migraine, take this. It's called Maxalt. I had another one for um, uh, cluster headaches and I, I looked it up and I, I read about it. It was actually a barbiturate. I don't know if you know what barbiturate mm -hmm. is, but it was a barbiturate was the main factor in that mm -hmm. medicine. And um, brain, because I know I heard you say something about addiction before, but all of this kind of like this, this story is like all in one, right? But I had I had some battles and some throws with addiction, and I didn't know I had some battles and that my battle had actually started when I was younger. I have a false tooth right here, mm -hmm. and that tooth got pulled when I was eleven years old, ten or eleven years old. They went in, and my what happened was is I had um, uh, my my adult tooth, my secondary tooth was fused to my bone, to my jaw. So, and it wasn't coming down. So they went in, they sawed it off the bone oh, and they, they stitched up my, my gums. And in the wake of that surgery, I ended up, they prescribed me a painkiller. It was a barbiturate, right? So I didn't put two and two together until I'm like later on looking back at it. But here I am, I'm taking this barbiturate for cluster, cluster headaches at that point. And I go to my line NCO at that point. And I go to sitcom, I'm like, hey, um, and this is, by this time I'm in my second marriage, right? So well, I want to yeah. take a second here real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got a question for you. Um, so the first surgery was obviously to get in there and get that cyst out. Yeah. The second surgery, did that cyst redevelop or yes. did they miss some of it? So they didn't, they didn't excise the cyst. They um, just, so what, what, uh, it was a left ventricular endoscopy. So they basically, right. they, they, they cut open your, your skull and I have this scar. That's why I grow my hair out some. But if you mm -hmm. see that little U-shaped scar, that's the first surgery. And then mm -hmm. there's another one that's smaller that you can't really see. But they peel back a flap of your skin, and then they drill a hole. And then they send through that hole an endoscope. So it has a camera on the end of it. That's right. And they send it right through that little hole. They use the endoscope to poke holes in the cyst. And they only, um, I don't know how many holes he So they were just in. draining it, basically. They were trying to drain it. And, yeah. and the, the goal was because the cyst, the cyst is filled with cerebral spinal fluid. That's right. And which is normal. It's supposed to be around my brain. That's a, that's a that's natural right. thing. But it's not supposed to be pocketed and filling up and filling up, right? right. And that's, it was, this cyst was storing and pocketing cerebral spinal fluid, but over time. So it wasn't just like it poured in, but it was like drip, drip, drip. You go two years, three years, 10 years later, those drips add up. And so the cerebral spinal fluid wasn't draining and circulating through the rest of my body because it's supposed to move around, right? right. So um, at that at that juncture, they went in the first surgery. They went in and they poke holes in it. I don't know how many, right? But but, but, but you know they do that because as the cyst develops and grows, it's now uh, approximating putting compression on mm -hmm. on a, on, on the adjacent, brain tissue on adjacent uh, yeah on adjacent neurons, mm -hmm. which then can impact. Uh, apparently your executive Cognitive function, executive function. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, precisely. So they, what they did was they wanted to decrease the size, you know, hoping that it wouldn't, you know, redevelop, but then it redeveloped. But apparently. then it redeveloped. Yeah. Yes, sir. And so the, and it was, it was always, it was quite remarkable actually, because the second time I had the surgery, the cyst was actually bigger than the first time I had the surgery when it, when it redeveloped. Um, so what the second surgeon said, um, Dr. Thompson, what he said was that, they were, they were a lot more aggressive. They, he read the notes from my first neurosurgeon. He looked at what he did. He said, I understand why he did it and why he did it the way that he did it. He didn't want to be too aggressive, um, especially since that, that was like the first onset and realization of what I was going through. But he said, you can't keep coming in and having brain surgeries. We got to nip this in the bud. Right. And the sit, I've fallen into the person's like, I haven't had any dealings with assist ever since, you know, so I've been 
really healthy in the wake of that second brain surgery. However, I was still dealing with those symptoms, right? So the, mm-hmm. so the hypertension was one of the main things that they were like, okay, this is, this has got to go down once it's relieved, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when, it, when he had that conversation, he said the, the next means of dealing with it is going to have to be pharmaceuticals, drugs. And that's, that's what, kind of kept me on that path of these higher doses, these higher doses, trying to figure out what, because the premise was is this, right? I'm in the military. They want to keep me ready. I had to be what they call a flight readiness status. Right. So you can't just get up on a helicopter and you got a brain system that's ready to pop or you got hypertension and anything could happen when you yeah. get into that elevation. So they, they, I have to be on a ready, on a certain readiness status. And at that juncture to keep me on a readiness status, I was taking these medications. Um, I got to the point where I'm out of the military in my second that's why I was saying is that she's looking at me and I, and I have this oh so I go I go to the doctor and I have five medications that I mentioned to you right right I was actually on six and I was at this point I'm 24 years old and this was the this was the beginning of the wake-up call for me and the paradigm shift for me that kind of just kept me along this this natural path that I'm that I'm on now but at that juncture um I go into the doctor and I'm like doc I'm on these these medications um, I can't function sexually. I'm 20, I'm 25, 24, 25 years old and I can't, I can't get down and this, this ain't normal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I've, and he's like, oh, well, um, well, we shouldn't really take you off your medications. That's not really an option. So they prescribed me Sildenafil, 50 milligrams Sildenafil, which is Viagra. Mm-hmm. I was on Viagra at 25 years old and it was, it was great at first. Cause like it's Viagra. So <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's awesome. Right. <laughs> but then you realize like, I got to take this every single time. That, and it was like, a, it was like, and which the, what, even on the note of like hypertension, like Viagra does help with that too. Like that was one of the, they wanted to kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. But it was like, it always comes with something else. Like, it's like, now nah, I got to be on this too. So, um, what, what changed my path because I, I, I went from six medications to prescription to none. My second, my second ex-wife, she, she, she approached me. She's like, listen, I can't, I was literally about to down a, um, a bottle of these, the cluster headache pills, the barbiturates. Right. And she's like, I can't watch you do this to yourself anymore. And my wife hooked me up with her, uh, what we call a plug. She had been able to plug and brought me some cannabis, brought me some marijuana. And what's a plug? A plug, a plug is a person. Yes. yes. <laughs> Damn, all these new terms. Man. What? Yeah, yes. well, a plug. All right, all right. All right. Yeah, she, she, she connected. Connections. It's like you're plugging in, plugging into. Okay. Exactly. All right. Um, but yes, yeah, so she, she hooked me up with a plug and. I literally, I, we, we packed it in a bowl. She was, she's old school. My, my ex-wife was from Washington state. So she, it was culture for her. Like it mm-hmm. just, it just made to her like all the medications on one hand. I'm like, Hey, you got some, some marijuana on the other. To her, it's just like, this is, this is all, all she knew. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I hit the, I remember hitting the ball and I remember being angry and upset. I'm like, man, this ain't doing nothing. And, and then literally maybe like 15, 10 minutes later, whoosh headache was gone right i ended up falling asleep but i woke up the next day and i felt the difference in my blood pressure when i went for my when i went for a checkup because you go to the va right i went for my checkup and it was probably approximately like a couple of months after me starting like regular cannabis use and i went for my checkup and they're expecting to see hey are you taking your medications hey like let's let's see how your blood pressure is doing i go in the blood pressure is 120 over 80 right yeah on a uh-huh. dot 120 over 80 right and he's like oh it's good good so you've been taking your medication i'm like no nah, no doc i'm not and he's like what i was like, yeah no now mind you 
cannabis isn't the only herb that I'm that I found at this point. There's another herb that I found called that was called chaga. And there was another one that I can't, the name of it is just fleeting with me, but it was, it was a natural, uh, it was an oil that you drip on your tongue. It came from, it was from Greece. It was from the Mediterranean region, but they, 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 um, extract the oil from this and it was uh, dripping out of my tongue. I'll have to, I'll have to find the name of it. But when you say chaga, like the mushroom, the chaga mushroom, okay, exactly. Siberian chaga was okay. what I was doing, and to this day, I still take Siberian chaga. I, I don't, I no longer do cannabis, but the chaga is being a consistent thing of mine, um, particularly Siberian chaga. Okay, um, what I what I've discerned and I've learned even when studying the medicinal mushrooms and in chaga in particular is that the more extreme conditions that they grow in, the more beneficial and the more ex- the uh, potent the medical properties tend to be from that from that plant and so that's why um, um siberian chaga tends to be a little bit more um for me pers- from my perspective medically beneficial okay than like alaskan chaga or canadian chaga yeah and you haven't listened to any of our podcasts so he's like speaking our language for real yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right it's kind of cool to, 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 yeah. even when you're saying about my brain so i'm like man this dude knows exactly well <laughs> we're providers right yes sir. So i'm a doctor of physical Ooh. therapy and a dietitian here so um that being said though what does you know, like, I don't know if you realize this also, but the cannabinoid system has only recently been discovered. Mm-hmm. And that's like 20 years old. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what the cannabinoid system uh, does or what it's a part of. And we don't really know what uh, cannabinoids can offer us medicinally. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're just kind of like, we're scratching the surface, if right. you would. But uh, as far as mushrooms are concerned, there's a lot of information on, on what mushrooms can potentially do right now without those addictions mm-hmm. or those horrible side effects. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what does that chaka do for you? It's, it was incredible. Um, the So at the time where I began taking chaga, I was still like, a, I was still doing cannabis at the same time. Um, so I, it was like, it was hard for me originally to really discern whether it's like the mm-hmm. cannabis or whether it was the chaga that I was getting the benefits from. Which but, one did you start first? Cannabis. Okay. Cannabis was the first. That, that's what started me on the natural path. Okay. Cause I was like, in in my mindset, I was like, here's a plant and here's these medicines. And I'm yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like this plant did what these six medications couldn't do because the cannabis, the marijuana beat the Viagra. Like if, you, if we're being, if I'm being honest, so I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, hold on. You got, you got erections again uh, without taking the medications? Without the medications. With, with the pot and the, the, the mushroom? Absolutely. With, no, with, with the pot without the mushrooms at this juncture. Just the pot. It was in, and it, at, literally the first time right so yeah, like exactly. i said i fell asleep right before i fell asleep it was, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was the reason why i went right to sleep right so it was like boom i hit i hit the bowl me and my wife me and my ex-wife we go boom ham sandwich and then i wake up the next morning i'm like man i got no headache i just had a freaking awesome night and like what i didn't know at the time what i was feeling is like my blood pressure was coming down so i'm in so i'm in this va checkup and they're asking me about and mind you like the va doesn't prescribe cannabis then they won't they won't right and so they should they should, yeah, I mean, right? We want to fix. Whole, we want to fix the population problem. But that's a whole. That's a, that's a whole another animal, right? Yeah. And now you're di- now you're diving into the politics of it, right? Well, you, yeah, we can get into that. You know what I'm saying? But as far as like dealing with like, hey, how can I get this in the hands of the other people? I couldn't. I I didn't have time in my own physical body to sift through the politics and then navigate the politics. I just needed what worked for me at that point in time, right? Well, no, should nor should you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a shame that our medical system and our uh, politics doesn't allow this navigation for you. I mean, like we said it before, 
the drugs that are the most harmful are the ones that are legal. The, the, most ones, legal. Mm-hmm. the ones that are the least harmful are the ones that are illegal. Come on now. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Um, okay, so anyway, you're, you're doing the pot. You're, you're, your wife's happy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's saying thank you. And now you found you, you stumbled upon a, a Siberian mushroom. That you start using and what, what do you think what does that do for you so now so now going back to the chaga yeah when i when i went and i was really able to discern the benefits of it once i had gotten off of cannabis and i was only doing the chaga and the first thing that i noticed was energy right the, i i didn't have this need i always and even now like i have um i have a, a break in the middle of my day as a trainer like most people they like to train in the morning or they like to train in the evening it's right. not a lot a whole lot going on in the middle of the day so because i wake up early the middle of the day is the time that i'm able to recuperate and rest and prepare for the evening so i have a little bit of a different schedule and what i would notice with the chaga is that I literally, I didn't need to nap, or if I did nap, my naps were a lot shorter than what I would normally, I would, I would have to, typically, if I had six hours of sleep overnight, I would try to take an hour nap to recoup some type of sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And once I was once I was doing the chaga, I, my six hours overnight, when I would drink the chaga before bed, it was like a restful six. I was feeling like I was getting like a full night's rest off of six. And then if I did need to take a nap in the middle of the day, then it'd be like a little 15, 20 minute cat nap. Like the naps that are like, they say is a beneficial nap time frame, yeah. right? Not like a whole hour nap. Like you get lethargic after a little while, you know, mm-hmm. the longer I'm sleeping in the middle of the day to try to get up and going again. But the chaga is like, I could boom, Catnap up and, and um, it reminds me because I, I have kids, right? It reminds me of the movie Boss Baby and like the dude, like, he'd be like, uh, and wake up, <laughs> and jump up, right? That's how it was on Chaga. It's like, it's just like, man, I'm just boom and I'm just, I'm energized and I'm ready to go. All I needed was that, that five, 10, maybe 15 minutes. Um, the other benefit was oh, recovery. I got another question mm-hmm. for you. Did you only smoke uh, the marijuana or did you actually, did you eat it as well? Both. You did both. both. So, um, it's, it was weird how I started eating it because now, mind you, like my ex-wife is like, she's telling me a whole about, and we took, when I, when I was, when I got out of the military, we actually took a trip to her home state of Washington state. So I was able to go into the dispensary. I was able to see how, you know, when it's done properly and, and everything like that, I was able to see kind of like the culture is entirely different. Um, but I um, began to eat the the cannabis. Like, so I would, I would vaporize it was my main mode of, of, once I started getting into it, I would vaporize it. And then you, when you, when you finish vaporizing cannabis, there's this, uh, there's this residue left over. Mm-hmm. And so I would take it and it's, it's organic, right? So I would take it and I would just consume it. So instead of throwing it away, it was just basically, and it's almost like a, it's like you take a green leaf and it goes brown when it, when you take it, that's, it's just yeah. this brown, it's just this brown stuff. And I would just take it and eat it. And it was like, that's, and I later learned, right. Is that's what I was eating was the canana boys. Like the, a lot of the CBD was in this residue that was left over. I'm smoking off the THC and then the CBD is here in my hands. And that's the thing that I was benefiting the most from, which was potentially. Me- and then you also metabolize it differently from when you eat it. So what we understand as of right now is that edible marijuana Helps with neurogenesis. Mm. Okay. It helps. It helps. See, like this stuff, I'm not even, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just doing it at the point. So it's, it's so, crazy to hear that. So the hippocampus makes several hundred new neurons a day. But if you had some sort of like injury, like a stroke or a brain injury or a cyst, you know, and it's compressing on some adjacent neurons, then you have like, you know, in that amount of space, you're damaging thousands, mm. if not millions of neurons. Uh, so it's hard for the hippocampus to keep up with that rate of like regeneration. regeneration. Yeah, exactly. That makes so much sense. So what we know is that edible marijuana, but also mushrooms in particular, psychedelic mushrooms, but also edible mushrooms mm. can help the hippocampus 
with neurogenesis. So not only can you uh, make new neurons to replace the ones that have been injured or, you know, phase out, but to also help you re, uh, regenerate the ones that have been injured. Wow. Okay. Whether it's wow. from a stroke or a TBI. Okay. But uh, so you're doing this stuff naturally. Having no idea about the, Having the no research idea, behind it. But or, feeling great. But feeling great and you and the benefits. Have of you had it. any scans since this? Yes. So I had a, I had a, and I'm supposed to be getting them like every, they, I've now been prescribed to get them every three years. But the last scan, the cyst was completely out. It's just completely depressed. Nice. Yeah. You know, and now um, I, w I would attribute that to the neurosurgeon, right? Sure. Yes, of course. Because I can't make the cyst go down, right? No, However, yeah. being able to recover from it, right? And and all of that, I attribute to the regimen that I went into. I I have a hard time believing that I would have been able to accommodate that level of healing and recovery, staying on six medications, going on the path that I was on. So it was like this, it was like this drastic shift that I was at the point that led me into the, the now the, the regimen. Well, you can't, you can't credit that stuff really. Cause you know, how do you really know? It's just speculation. Mm -hmm. Cause at that point you're 24 years old, you're, you're, you're in your like mid to late twenties, you're young, you're caught, your neurological system hasn't fully matured yet mm -hmm. until about what? 25, 26 years mm -hmm. of age. 26. So, yeah. so there's a lot going on there, but did it play a role? Maybe. But yeah. who cares? Yeah. You're better. Yeah, exactly. That's you're what I'm saying. You're not like, taking I, that medication. Exactly. exactly. So, so like, that's, that's all I could do, right? Somebody, right. So, so the, the, in, in my faith, right? It's all about testimony, right? Test, testify what's happened to you mm -hmm. and let the, let the rest be discerned, right? And so when I testify and this stuff, like, I don't really like, a lot of people I haven't even like talked to about it and stuff like that. Like, you know, my parents and stuff like that I have. But um, when I, when I look at like, Hey, I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at the, how this timeline went and I know how I was feeling in my body and in my experience during this path. And I know how I'm am feeling when I redirected the path and what was the differences and what were the lifestyle changes that I, that I acquired? Um, obviously like fitness and things like that, those are factors. But like when I, when I look at those elements, if you got, if you ask me for my testimony, that's going to be my testimony every single time. Cause I don't have no other truth to give you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, now with that being said, so the, the so more about the chaga, right? The other benefit was it was recovery, right? So I, at this point I'm studying and I'm researching and I'm starting to dive deep into this stuff. And I'm realizing that like, it's incredibly beneficial for in the study, in this case study that they did, they were, they were studying um, Olympic power lifters, right? But the, the regeneration rate and the recovery rate of the power lifters that had a steady uh, diet of, of chaga, and this was the Siberian chaga, they had, a, a remarkable different, a remarkably higher recovery rate than the athletes that had not done the chaga. Mm -hmm. So that was another benefit that I had, was able to experience firsthand, especially at this point, because I had gotten into the realm of fitness. So, you know, when you recover, like, you know, we say in fitness, like you, you're recovering most of the time. Like the, the training aspect is a very small part of your daily life. The rest of it is is what you're doing to recover and, and how you're accommodating that recovery process. And so the chaga was incredible for that. You know, those, those yeah. other, those other, and I'm working out twice a day. So like, you know, those other 22 hours, I should say that I'm not training. It was definitely helping when I was in the midst of it, the activity, I wouldn't say it was like performance enhancing in any way, particularly, but when it came to recovery and I get into this, I get into this, like the baby people, like they said, it was some, you know, um, you know, even like when it comes to cannabis, like, you know, like cannabis is not performance. It's like, okay, true. If you, if you have, if you consume cannabis, it's not going to make necessarily make you like run faster or perform faster. But 
as far as recovery is concerned, there are benefits to it and from a right. recovery perspective. And if recovery is so crucial to your performance, then isn't it by default, if your recovery is better and faster, isn't right. it by default enhancing your performance? You know, so I, I, I yield that. And that's what I kind of, that was my experience, with, particularly with Chaga. And if it um, helps you with neurogenesis. That's, that's performance. Too, is that exactly that's right. literal performance. Exactly. Right. That's not even a, a you don't have to jump the, jump over to, to even see that part. Yeah, you know, yeah. but who it's it's natural. But mm-hmm. here's the other thing. Um when you were reading that study on the Olympic lifters, uh did it talk and you said regular use. By regular regular use, how do they identify that? Is it daily use? Is it daily? Three? Okay, because yeah. the literature that I've seen, uh the argument is three times a week, three to four times a week of exposure to cannabis or to uh, mushrooms. Helps with the neurogenesis. Wow. Um, like so obviously daily is going to Daily will hit that threshold. Mm-hmm, exactly, correct, right. Correct. Uh, so, okay, so you're on this regimen. You can kick this, the medication. You went to the VA. The doctor's like... Yes, matter right. of fact, um, going out, that was like the little part of the story is that the All doctor right. the doctor was like, he walked out. <laughs> I remember it's like it was just yes, sitting on the table because <laughs> in my mind I'm thinking like, oh man, here go my benefits. <laughs> the doctor walks out, he comes back in, and he comes back in with the nurse, right? The same nurse that 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 was in initially with me, and he's like, well, um, you know, McDonald, if if this is working for you, you know, we, you know, I mean. I'm I'm I, I'm supposed to tell you that you're supposed to be taking your medications and blah 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 blah, but um you know just check back on us and I did have I did have the scan after that they found that's when I got the normal scan results, and then but on the way on the way out of that office that on the way out of the doctor's office that day the nurse stopped me and she said hey, um can you write down the herbs that you're taking. I, 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 just told him, I just told him herbs. I didn't tell him yeah. cannabis. She wanted to know your plug. She wanted to know my plug. <laughs> but I didn't give all my plug. I, I don't know you like that. But I wrote I wrote down, I did write, I vividly remember the chaga. Uh, I don't think I told about the cannabis. But there was I, when I when I come up with the um with the name of the oil, it was incredible because I, I actually need to find it to reintroduce it into my regimen now. But it was like this orange or it it is it was stain if you got it on something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was it was from it was it grew in the Mediterranean and it, naturally there's these almost like these little balls and um but I, I wrote that down at the time and um uh, something sea something seaweed goodness I can't uh, it, it was just fleeting me now but I wrote them down to her and that was that's actually other than the scan that's the last time I've been been over there for 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 an exam how long goes up or what, this, around what time this is approximately 2016. Because they've been studying uh, the military itself, actually, has been using uh, medicinal mushrooms for to treat PTSD. PTSD, correct. And depression. Correct. And anxiety mm-hmm. and psychosis and a number of other conditions, as well as the St. Johns Hopkins, USF looked into cannabis use for neurogenesis. Uh, but they have, the reason why they're doing it is because they can, right? They're the right. government. But they find that it's far more beneficial than the pharmaceutical the treatments pharma- mm-hmm. that the lay person has access to in the private market. So the argument now is whether or not these medications, these uh, natural-based medicines, should be legalized for everybody. But I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you found them. Okay, so yep. you got that. You're good. You're cleared up. You're out of the military. You're on to a second wife now. Second, second ex-wife. Mm-hmm, second, mm-hmm. second ex. Second ex-wife. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You caught that part. Right? <laughs> I did, man. Yeah, I did. Uh, you're pretty hopeful. <laughs> so, um, and then, and then what? What happens then? So, um, at this at this juncture, I am 
come, so I'm, I'm, I, I'm out of the military. I'm back in Florida. So me and my my second ex wife. Yeah, right. she, that's when she around the time she started becoming my second ex wife. Um, <laughs> she, she, so we, I spent, I spent some, I spent a stint in, um, in Arizona. We, we, we were in Arizona together, and then, um, try to like see, see how things would work with our, with our marriage, and this, it, it dissipated at, at that point. I came back to Florida. So I'm from, I'm from Florida, and um, coming back here, um, the, the two kids that I had, we had no kids in our, in our second marriage or anything like that. Um, but. I, I I wasn't. I'm not from Fort Myers. I'm not from the Lee County area. I'm actually from St. Lucie County, from the other coast. Mm. But I came back. I came back home to the to the east coast of Florida. But my kids were over here. So what got me over here was coming over here to be closer to my kids and and the yeah to build my relationship with my kids. Thank you. Um and that I was already in the fitness at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So like I'm realizing because literally me being healthy and staying fit, like I. I I say this like without like it was literally life or death for me. I literally saw the quality of my right. life when I was active, when I was doing these healthy things, when I was having these natural means of you know. So why sub- wouldn't you do it? Yeah, it, why not make a lifestyle of it? Why right. not make it my career if right. I'm gonna have to do it anyway? Right? Like, it's, okay, it'd be a lot more difficult, I should say, if I wanted to do if I wanted to be on Wall Street, right? And then then I got to do all these other health things, and yeah, it's possible to balance that. But if this is your lifestyle and you're already living in it, then it just made more sense. And I actually thought my realization at that point was that I was actually positioned for that. Like, I, I went through all of these things because. It, it was to lead me to having my own gym now. Like I would have never, I never thought back then I want a gym now, you mm-hmm. know? So it, it, it kind of follows through, follows through. So I come over and when I'm, when I'm here, I'm, I, I get, I get back into training or I'm get, I'm into training officially from a, from a official standpoint. I get into my first job uh, here at the gym locally. They, it's still there actually. It's called Ronald Clark Fitness, but mm, I, uh, I, that, that, that. that was my, that was my first job. That was my first official personal training job. And one thing led to another, I just began to discover my affinity for fitness as a whole um and then understanding like the the different elements that goes into it that's not just about the working out but it's also about the other aspects of your lifestyle that defines your wellness as a person and um so, so now, now i want to so now just how did i get to the goda stuff the goda and the way method is yeah. that um this is this is a few years of me being here in fort myers and um i'm, I'm at a facility and the owner of the facility so his name his name is seth um and he uh, he owns a, a facility called Iron DNA Fitness, and I call him my big bro. But when I was working for him there, he recommended me to check out something. And mind you, the Bose. Have you ever seen those Bose? Mm-hmm. The, bo- the yeah. dome, the flat. So he he points out, and, and on the Bose, and at this time, the Bose, most Bose you see are blue, right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. have that, that the blue material, that blue uh, rubbery material. This particular one was gray. Right. So, mm-hmm. they, and it's called a Bozu Elite. But at the time, I was just like, oh, it's just another cool looking Bozu. On the name of it, you can see it said Weck Method on the side of it. And so, my, um, the owner, my, my big bro, Seth, uh, Seth Hayes, he, he says, hey, you should check them out. I think that'd be a really good, a good fit for the way that you train. And it started a rabbit hole, literally. And I'm so enthralled by this stuff. Like once I get, once I sink my teeth on something, I just want to learn more and more and more about it. And that's where my paradigm began to shift as far as what I deciphered as physical or uh, functional fitness, right? So the wet method is locomotion. It is locomotive based. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Locomotive based. Yes, sir. All right. Um, okay. So go ahead. Keep going. So, um, so the rabbit hole that it actually started was 
for me to like, okay, let me Google Wag Method, right? Let me right. learn a little bit about it, right? Yeah. And then so that's when We're I learned all that. good rabbit hole start. Come on. Google. Yeah. Google. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they shouldn't finish that either. <laughs> so I, 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 go, I go on to it. And um, the, so the, one of the first thing that pops up is this book. And it's a, um, it was, it was, a, um, a, it was in a, P, a PDF or a Kindle form, format, right? Mm-hmm. And so the book was called Go to Greatest of All Time Athletes and how to something about moving and X, Y, and Z. And then you see you see the cover of it. I, I look into the I look into the book and you can and you can literally like because when you search when you do a search term like WEC method or WEC, it, it tells you where it populates through. And like in the book, it's like I'm seeing it pop up a few times. I'm like, okay, let me check out this. Like it's, it's they they you know this it's a closer. And now now mind you. At this point, and I'm I'm actively pursuing. I'm, I'm just starting the process of becoming GOTA certified. So this is like my, this is where like it's all kind of transitions to even to now with me as a coach now. But at the time, I'm just looking through this book and I'm seeing the references of whack whack whack, and um I looked at the. I looked at like the process and everything like that to 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 dive in to go to the book was phenomenal. And if you ever like get a chance to check this book out, like please, like it's the content is incredible. But let me get you the the premise of the, the of the go to philosophy is that when they look at um when they when you look at humans in their natural environment, right? So we've we've been we've we've come some we've uh we succumbed to a lot of environmental factors, such as the chairs that we're sitting in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. These ain't these things ain't optimal for our posture, right? They're not optimal for our gait patterns, right? So when we, when the Goda book, what it what it what he deciphered, and the um the creator of Goda, his name is Gil, Coach Gil, and Coach Gary, and they have a he has a, a gym in Louisiana, so he so he, this is all that he does, right? This is like this is how b- much belief they have in this protocol, but. When you look at a baby out of the womb that hasn't been that hasn't been affected by modern advances of society, they have certain locomotive patterns, right? A shifting to left to right. They're not their their core is not bracing stiff, but rather they're shifting left to right. When you look at cultures that have not been affected by the modern advances of our society, i.e., chairs, right, and couches and things that forces us into these kyphotic postures, you you notice that what they do in their patterns. So their resting seated position, our seating position is a chair or like this, right? Mm-hmm. Their seated position is they're on their feet, right? Or if they're not on their feet, they have these these other positions that are optimal for for their actual kinetic chain. Right. So, so the print the book when I when it started to you know, and I'm on my second time reading the book now. So that even though like I'm going to, I'm like, cause you just learn so much the second time through that you didn't see the first, but, um, they started looking at these different populations that had these, had limited effect from modern society and our modern technologies. And they all had the similar patterns of, they didn't have a lot of injuries. They had virtually no injuries, right? Their health, right? So they, they weren't getting sick, right? And they had longevity, on earth as individuals and, and as communities. And um, the Amish are, is another example, right? Because the Amish, they have some modern advances, but not nearly as much as the rest of the society that surrounds them. And so even on my last video that I was studying from Coach Gill, he assessed this, it was a group of, of Amish walking. He was just one by one assessing them, their locomotive patterns in slow-mo video. So now with the technology now of, of slow motion video, you can literally see everything, right? And so on the contrast of that, what they assess is, okay, here's what happens if you abide by the, the, the fundamental laws and their laws is just, they, they don't, they, they, they have these rules and these, and these concepts, but it's all based off of the laws of nature, right? So they use the Fibonacci sequence as a marker of, are you within the patterns? Are you within what they call the singularity or are you not? Right. 
And so when you when they were studying even on, the, on these Amish people, when you notice their moving patterns of when they when their foot lowers the ground, their leg does what they call it sets a bow, right? And when 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 that foot lands, their head lands over that foot. That is the most optimal position. If you test yourself out, if you stand up and you lift one foot off the ground, your head naturally goes from midline in between your feet to gravitate to wherever the foot is that you're standing on. It's a natural phenomenon. You'll do it. You'll do it naturally without any cueing, right? But this, if you put it into motion and you put it into practice, it looks a certain kind of way. And it's mathematical. It's almost mathematical to the T. Now, it's not just humans, right? It's every single animal in the animal kingdom. Every single bipedal or locomotive animal, they all have this spiraling pattern to their motion, the shifting of left or right. You look at a tiger or a cheetah, any big cat, they move a certain kind of way. Now, what got me, the, the reason I, I went to the path, I went whack method and I, then I went back into the Godas was um, because of the accessibility of whack method at the time. So here I am, I'm working with his tools, I'm working with his equipment, I ordered some more of his equipment, I wanna learn more about it. Um, the locomotive stuff, it goes even into how, you're, how you move your arms, like swinging your arms traditionally, is they're learning this like, it's not, it's not efficient, right? And it's it actually, and I, and I even attributed that, like going back to like my testimony, is like, I remember having these shoulder tears running track, from, I was a hurdler, and I'm like, why am I hearing my shoulder running? And it didn't happen, it didn't happen until I was in college and I was running, but then I look back on the timeline and I look about at my, my powerlifting regimen, how it was bipedal and they, they, so bring the contrast to, they look also look at the patterns of injury, right? So there's this good side of it. And then if you disobey these laws and you consistently disobey them, here's where you end up, right? And these are where all our, what we call our non-contact injuries come from every single one. There's a, there's a pattern to non-contact injury and there's a pattern to longevity in the human body. And so what they study is, is that if you look at the human foot and our, it all starts that at the foot level, with it. And um, if you look at the human foot, if you look at, in order to accommodate um, uh, an, an optimal arch, right, your weight must shift away from the inside of the foot towards the outside. Now, we call that, um, we, that's, a, that's a tilt. We, we call that being on towards your green dot or your green zone, right? Your fourth and fifth metatarsal. And if you look at the foot, the, the structure of the foot, that's where you actually have the most support, the fourth and fifth metatarsal. As soon as you get to the third, fourth, and fifth, that's where there's the cavity of which creates the arch. And that's where there's a lot less um, tissue to, to support the landing of the foot or padding, right? Underneath the foot. And so in, the, in their studies of when- Hold on, say that again. So if you look at the pinky toe and the toe next to it, right, mm -hmm. the bone that runs along from the tip of the toe all the way towards the heel, there's a lot, one, there's a lot more uh, support as far as soft tissue around those bones than the third, fourth, and fifth metatarsal also going all the way to the big toe, right? So if you look like the, the space underneath your arch and your big toe, there's a lot less support and padding there because we're not meant to jam our weight down on the inside of our foot. And what they noticed by, by virtue of studying and they, they watch these slow motion videos. So they got like tons and tons of hours. And this is the, this is the premise of the, of the, the entire training paradigm for GOTA, right? Mm -hmm. Is that when, and you see it like plain as day. So when they slow it down and I'll show you guys this material when we leave, but when you slow it down and you see every single pattern, uh, another, uh, you see them on every, you see them everywhere. It's like anytime you see an injury on TV, we got slow motion and that like TV, like at our fingertips. Now you could like literally mm -hmm. click, 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 slow it down frame by frame. The, the moment an incidence of injury is when this, ankle bone. So if this is my foot, if your inside ankle bone drops, you, as soon as it drops, even with the outside of your ankle bone, which normally we assume that's like, that's natural is to have your, your foot level. But as soon as it becomes even to it, you're in a trouble, right? That's your, as far as 
compromising your kinetic chain. But as soon as that inside ankle bone drops lower than the outside of the ankle bone, that's when you look at these, these instances of injury, that's where the injuries are happening. So I, I have to like, I have to say, I can't agree with any of that. No, I know you can't. Because can. we're <laughs> that's, your, that's, your, that's your training, right? And well, that, well we, and then tons, mm-hmm. and aside from two people who just do observation, mm-hmm. it's tons and tons of literature using beyond human eyes, flock mm-hmm. of birds, functional MRIs, uh, fine wire EMGs, um, a ton of different things. Mm-hmm. So the, the point that uh, you weight bear on the outside of your foot has not been uh, shown to be beneficial at all. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're, they're, to make that argument, you would uh, you, you'd be tripped up with the evidence. There's too much evidence that basically says that's not optimal. Right. See, what happens is when you land on your foot, your foot becomes a spring. It becomes a spring for a number of reasons. And you being a sprinter, you'll understand this. Mm-hmm. Michael Johnson talks about this the whole time. When he's sprinting, there's a couple of different things that happens. Besides him standing up, you know, like leaning back, erect because it's like a single leg press but what happens is they're not purposely um plantar flexing their foot plantar flexion is pushing your foot down mm-hmm. okay what they're doing is dorsiflexion so they mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. they land on it they purposely lift it up and the reason for that is several things the back part of, of your leg the muscles gastrocnemius to soleus the flexor hallucis longus and brevis and the flexor um digitorum longus all these other muscles including the uh, posterior tibialis which is what holds your arch up. That that muscle actually determines the height of the inside of your foot, the arch. Uh, that tissue absorbs energy, just like a spring would. And then when you plantar flex, you plantar flex with the uh, kinetic energy that you've absorbed. So the potential energy you absorb, and then you translate that into kinetic energy as you push off. And so you go, for, in essence, mm-hmm. you land on the foot, you go from a springy foot that absorbs energy and then when you push off, you go into a rigid lever to produce force. And you want to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. So there are people, and there's children that have congenital, congenital uh, abnormalities who walk on the outside of their foot. And essentially what they do is they're, they're in a rigid lever the whole time. And what happens is, over time, they, have, they, they uh, incur a great deal of damage to the joints. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they are more unstable. Mm-hmm. More unstable being that... They have a hard time controlling their balance, coordinating movements. They have less agility. Uh, and then they eventually end up with joint pain. The ground reaction force. Do they talk about ground reaction force? Absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. The ground reaction force is much greater for that too. Because you're not absorbing any energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people, people who are flat-footed, who tend to walk with a springy foot all the time. And you'll see this with athletes. A lot of your athletes are flat-footed. And they're really fast. And it kind of like, you know... For a long time, it kind of, how, how can they be so fast? But that's a better position for the foot because it can absorb and, disp- and, and, uh, and uh, dispense uh, the energy, okay, the potential to the kinetic energy and the force and reaction forces, okay, mm-hmm. ground reaction forces um, with less stress to the joints, all right? And uh, that, so, so you want it to do both. You want it to be a lever, a rigid lever, and you want it to be a spring. But to advocate to walk on the outside, not just walk on the outside. So there's 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 a process in it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of a lot of this. So in, even in the go to even in the go to realm, and that, that's why I hone in on go to because mm-hmm. they're very scientific about it. Um, what method kind of? But how? It, what, what's it the other? It shifted me in the direction of go to. That's why I, I really. What's the want, other science behind it? Because because would 
which you're saying i'm gonna have to read this book i don't Absolutely, understand yeah. it yeah yeah I, I, that's what i'm saying like i think i think we could uh, even like have a a whole nother deeper delve into conversation after like having like showing you some of these materials and and, and whatnot um like i said i'm here to talk about my experience and testify sure. about my experience from sure. it um i but, can't but you have to understand though mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that there's the the literature on this is right conclusive like yeah. and you're talking about independent parties and they're not just writing books and that's watching people. Right, right. There's a ton of other data lab studies that they've done. I don't know if you've seen flock of birds or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Flock of birds is a technique in which they digitize your, your skeletal system. Um, and there's tons of other things, but, uh, so I just want to be careful mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about this. I think it's a good book to look into and to read. Absolutely. But absolutely. anyway, go ahead and uh, yeah, and absolutely. So so the the premise is that when I when I land right and this this is what I've adopted and I've actually just like I said I've, I've started the process of becoming certified. But this is after like a couple of years of of studying these patterns and, and adapting them for myself. Um, when I used to land, I used to have a midsole. I used to I used to land um, closer to my middle of my foot. My foot would be a little bit flatter. I was, I was a sprinter like my whole life. Sure. So I understand the phenomenon with the fat feet. And actually over the course of this training, over the course of this time, I've developed more of an arch, literally on my foot, I've developed more of an arch than before when I was doing this training and I was constantly loading and landing on the middle of my feet. Now, let me, I'm gonna bring it. Okay, I'm, so, I'm, so I just wanna be clear mm-hmm. here. So you uh, develop your posterior tibialis, which holds up your arch. That, that's what lifts up your arch mm-hmm. is different than using a rigid lever. So, it's, so, so this, exactly. That's, that's not, so the, the, the parrot, the, so we, um, they call it cadaver science, but they, when they, when they, the, the, the means of analysis, analysis, analyzing the foot and the landing and the lever, they look at it as a, a spiral of energy. Not, it's not just about what muscle, what rigid and what, what's activating. They, they look at, Hey, the, the, the body moves through space, like a, like a spiral of energy. So what, what got me to this and I'm, I'm going to offer you this, right? So the means, the, the normal means of training, they, they looked at as, as a, a mitigating factor towards those injuries. And so if you look at these instances of catastrophic non-contact injuries on slow motion video and you see that when this ankle bone gets lower when they load weight and they're loading weight on the inside of the foot and even if you look at it from a standing position if i'm standing or even as we're sitting here and you see if i have my i have my feet that's flush on the floor but i have my weight position towards the outside if i were to load energy and accept energy this way and i shift my weight down to where higher up in the knee it would accommodate valgus with traditionally they, they call it valgus yes right genu valgum mm. but if I, knee valgus right right but if 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 you look at it on the foot level what you have to do to accommodate that the weight is shifting towards the ball of the foot so you have the outside ball of the foot and you have the inside ball of the foot when we when we in our in the study and what i train and what i coach and what i do that sets us differently than every single coach most physical therapists, there's physical therapists that have gone through this program too. So there's mm-hmm. there, like the shift, the paradigm is there within the, within the medical industry and the medical field is just happening. But we're talking about, this is like, we're literally on the cutting edge of this stuff. And a lot of this stuff, just like the, what you said about the cannabis and the medicinal mushrooms mm-hmm. and whatnot, like I found this stuff out of the need for me. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so when I, when I found it, like I adopted it and like, I realized like me adopting it, you know, the whole. Well, I feel like we're mm-hmm. saying the same thing. It's, but the uh, the argument that you load the outside of your foot, I suppose the inside of your foot. There's a reason why you have. So, but the energy have, the energy doesn't stay there, right? So you're not. I'm not just loading. No, and push, no, no, no. no. There, what, there's, it's a spring effect. You absorb energy, 
for it's potential Absor- energy mm-hmm. and and you absorb potential energy and you translate it to kinetic energy. But the point is that right. the, there's a reason why you have a patella or like the kneecap. There's that underneath your first toe. And that's because it increases the force of those muscles that flex your feet mm-hmm. and spring off the push. And but you have to load it. So when you load it, you know what eccentric means, right? Yes. So good. Loading. So so mm-hmm. when you're walking, you land on your foot. That's an eccentric action, mm-hmm. and so it's loading those tissues. And then when you push off, it's a spring. Mm-hmm. So I think we're saying the same things. We're just saying it a little differently. Yeah, and and identifying saying them differently is just the if you're saying looking at the same ball. I would say like when when you talk to a go to a coach or you're, and and like I said like even these things I'm gonna be able to explain a lot more effectively as I continue through the certification process. Sure, but I'm already sold. Like I've I've experienced it for myself. Nobody don't have to tell you know what I'm saying. Like I could yeah, I could got, I, I've, like been, I've been living it and my coaching has I've been living it through my coaching. So I'm seeing the results of people who have yielded the benefits of it mm-hmm. in, in my field and working with them every single day. So like I'm what I call, I'm, I'm in the trenches. I, I, it ain't military real trenches, but I'm in the trenches of like, Hey, these people are coming in with these, these issues and whatnot. The go to perspective, it goes from the ground up. So I'm just starting at the feet. Sure. Right. But loading. Right. So I, if, if I look at my kinetic pattern, when I load, if this were my fourth and fifth metatarsals, this is the area that in the go to coaching and in WEG method, they co- he teaches this as well. But I want to load on the fourth and fifth metatarsal in the outside ball of my foot, which is called the green dot. That's on top. That's the ball of the foot where the fourth and the fifth metatarsal is. That's my launching point. So I'm loading energy towards that launching point and I'm pushing off that launching point, which creates a pivot. And when that heel releases, and this, this is the study, this is the evidence what I was saying about them studying the slow motion video. People who have a tendency for injury, when they, when people who don't have a tendency for injury, let me start there. When you load on the fourth and fifth metatarsal, you hit that green dot pivot point of your outside ball of your foot. They, that's when there's, that's when that energy goes from eccentric to concentric when they're pushing, when they're finally pushing through. But that's the, that's the launching point in tradition. What we look at traditionally is it could be the entire ball of the foot. It could be any, it could be anywhere here. They hone in on the outside ball of the foot on the fourth and fifth metatarsal. When you push off of that pivot point, your heel releases out and it allows an effect that goes up the kinetic chain to the hip Mm -hmm. to, for an internal rotation of the hip. So they, so when you're loading, they're essentially saying you're loading on the outside and accepting energy into what's called a bow and you're allowing the external rotation of the hip and then when you release that's when it accommodates the internal rotation off the outside pivot point of the ball of the foot there are other things that happen further up the kinetic chain that show mm-hmm. for this but that's essentially the the premise of it in in i get it they're not they're it. not saying anything new at all <clears throat> i get that they're not saying anything new really it's just different terminology and then now when i if i take this to the training's perspective right because mm-hmm. the, with that understanding right if you look at traditional power lifts and powerlifting and what i was taught and my injury started when i got in college right so mm-hmm. once again i'm testifying when i started in, introducing power cleans power lifts and deadlifts and barbell lifts that were keeping me square as opposed mm-hmm. to having a locomotive element into my training this is and then i went on a track and i'm doing this locomotive pattern because this is what i was born doing i, I ran out of the womb right so from my parents uh you just took testimony. off your <laughs> I just, mom I literally, they said push you they, went, <laughs> i had the umbilical cord still on me and they just uh, they cut it on the way right but then knock you they, down to the point back but um when i look at the patterns that I began to introduce, it was confusing my nervous system. Mm-hmm. But when you look at also, and it's very difficult to do, I've, I've even tried to, um, it, 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 it helps tremendously for me. There's, I have these things called, uh, I use slant, I use what they call slant boards. Um, Uncle Wack, David Wack, who invented the Bozu, 
he uses what he invented what they call wet steps and it sets your foot at a pitch mm-hmm. so that it helps you receive energy more towards it helps the energy goes towards the outside of the foot more when they when even if you're gonna do power lifts so even so when i have my clients with me and i put them on these steps i just did a demo yesterday with this but when you when you have a person you have and i do a resting squat assessment i say hey let's show me your squat they go down the squat you'll see some uh, you'll see them accommodate some shift of the knee on the inside you'll see the weight shift somewhere towards the inside of the foot as opposed to where where we're talking where i was just talking about and then i'll put them on these steps and their weight and their they're they're actually able to accept the energy as they load with what they call the bows, right? And mm-hmm. the the bow and helps the medial glute activate is pulling the energy through by by loading out and then pull, allowing them to pull into the hip or and pull into the med, glute med as they load back in the squat. And you can literally see the the difference in the activation while they're on the step. Now, yeah. when I when I coach them, right, the the objective is to be able to uh, for them to accommodate that without the steps, right? So like even for myself and the pattern looks different. So then, so let me go, let me, let me go, let me turn this into a gate conversation real quick. When you, when you load on the outside and you roll and you hit that fifth on the top of the fourth, the fifth metatarsal, and that's your pivot point and the heel releases out, that's a spiral of energy. And then you send the energy to the other foot, load outside pivot point, boom, and it's spiraling back. When you look at, and what I said about the observation of animals in nature, like, like every two-legged animal or every four-legged silverback gorillas are, are a great example but having a position where they call back chain dominance is is crucial to accommodate that movement pattern if my hips and they, they identify it by the hips if my hips are directly underneath my ribs like this then it makes it a lot more difficult for me to accommodate those patterns from a locomotive perspective below the hips but once my hips are behind my rib cages then and if you look at like like I said, the silverback gorilla is like a perfect example. You'll never see a silverback in nature. Like you said about that curve that Michael Johnson, like even, so the, some of the language does overlap. But if you look at a silverback, they always have that when they're on two feet, right? right. They always have that curve, that curve. And that's, if you notice, their hips are behind their ribs. And it allows for the shift for the head to go over foot on one side. And then when they're ready to leave that column, we call it a column. But when you're ready to leave that column and advance to the other column to except that foot loading on the other, on the other side of the body, it allows the push to happen off the outside pivot point and it directs the energy to the other foot. I've, I've even, so this is another level of it because like I said, I'm in the trenches, I'm working with kids. I'm working, like I train athletes. Right. And I got a kid in college. He had both his legs broken. So he was born with bow legs. Right. It's kind of like the condition that you were talking about. And well, he's bow legged or at the, at the knees. He was, he was yep, below the knees and he was, he was actually below the knees. So he's, Yeah, he's flat footed. You're saying he was very flat footed. He's not anymore. He's not anymore. Right. And he's faster now. Right. So like I've, I've been working with him for the last two years and I've seen this progression. I knew him before the the procedure. I knew him when he, when he had the legs broken and they put the plate, he's uh, 21. Okay. So uh, 20, he's 20. Um, so I met him when he's 18 and he had, uh, the, he had his legs broken tibia. They put the plates in and he actually had to go through the choice of whether he was going to keep the place in or take him out. And then he decided, cause he's the kids going, he's aiming for the NFL. And so he's like, Hey, I can't, I can't play in the NFL with plates in my legs. I'm going to go ahead have to, I'm going to go ahead and go through the procedure get the place removed and just let my bones strengthen up and, and uh, work from there. So once he had the place taken out, we, we shifted completely. He, the kid couldn't even do it anyway. Like as far as the, 
the um the weightlifting, the traditional weightlifting patterns of the barbell because it was literally flattening his feet out to accommodate these positions of the cleans and the the deadlifts that he, that that he was doing. So we we completely like took that out of his regimen altogether when he was training with me, and we went to body weight. We went to body weight activities, but even as we honed in on body weight activities, we this was the at this juncture is when I was. Be, really just starting on this stuff. I had just become white method certified, but I was still digesting the go to aspect. And so the weight, sh the, the, the him focusing on shifting that weight on the outside of his foot and us focus on the locomotive pattern in our training, as opposed to the, the hips being square, the core being braced stiff, which that's not what he wanted to do to optimize his locomotion, especially with, with the way his legs were. We, we, we incorporate that in, as far as our training. And now inevitably, because he, he's, a, he's a collegiate athlete, he does those things when he goes to college, but that's not his only mode of training, right? And, it, when, and what, what the go-to philosophy, what they hone in on is that if it's not good for your locomotive pattern, we want to mitigate it all, all, all the way. So they take out, so when you, when you look at their training methodology, they don't do power clean. They don't, they, when they use a barbell, they use it in what's called a landmine, right? So, mm -hmm. so where, where you're able to rotate and use the core in a rotational factor. But you're also you more up on the mid foot with the landmine when you lift it. You, well, should, you, you can be right, but you, but you don't have to be. But there's a, there's a mm -hmm. lot to digest with that. Mm -hmm. um, first off, we are saying the same thing. We're just saying it differently. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is that I'm using more medical terminology which is understood throughout, you know, uh, countless careers within medicine. Mm -hmm. and, and this is more athletic language. So what you're saying is when you're, when you're talking the load, you're talking to actually push off. Absolutely. And when you're talking about weight acceptance. It's it's, the energy is moving. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we are saying the same thing, but when you, when you accept the weight and you strike with the midfoot, traditionally, that's what you want to strike with is a midfoot. You strike with the midfoot, you mm -hmm. strike with the first two toes, that does the weight bearing. And as you absorb energy, you, you then, when you go to push off, you do push off on the outside. However, you, people are, that are flat-footed, they are flat-footed, their tibia is rotated externally, they're typically in a knee valgus, which we're still not necessarily clear whether or not that's pathological or, or, or okay, because everybody's different. And uh, at that point, they tend to be flexing their hips, and they tend to utilize less extension with internal rotation. That's the typical gait pattern, is that you absorb energy through... Uh, through heel con uh, midfoot contact, the first two toes, you push off with the outer foot, uh, you don't go into valgus of the knee, and you rotate when you go into extension, go into extension, abduction, internal rotation. But when you when you strike and you accept weight, it's flexed, externally rotated, and adducted. So you're you're we're saying the same things. And the reason why the the the, the arms are efficient is that the lats attached to the arms. Mm -hmm. The lats pull your elbow backward. Mm -hmm. Your glutes, okay, help you with propulsion. Yep. When you swing your arm backwards, and there's other things too. I just yeah. want to simplify how it. you're using those arms though. Totally so, different, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the lats is a big problem with shoulder yep. pain. Yep. That's what people understand. But the more efficient your lats are, the more efficient your thoracolumbar fascia will be, the more efficient your glutes will be, and therefore your pattern, not just gait pattern, but your climbing pattern, your crawling pattern, your running Absolutely. pattern, there's a ton of that. Which, Which those are all factors of locomotive, like those are all locomotive they're patterns. All, it, it starts with crawling and then it then it. Well, we're saying, we're, say, we're saying all the same things, it's just different language. Absolutely. Um, and, and I'm looking at the entire- and even now, when I, even now when I, when I explain it to my clients, yeah. like I've, when you go through training process, like you learn, you learn these languages, right? Yeah. The, the medical language, but people don't speak like that. Right. So, well, so not in the, yeah. in layman, layman don't speak like that. So when I'm working with a client, I've even noticed the dichotomy of 
me when I when I'm explaining to them in using this language as opposed to the medical the medical language. It's, it's just a, the light bulbs. Just it's a lot more. No, of, and that's of, good. That's good because you have to provide Some education. Com- absolutely, absolutely. But but the mm-hmm. problem is is that when you start to when you say loading, loading is weight acceptance, right? And and the medical terminology. So when you say that, it's confusing, right? Okay? So uh, the gait pattern has been uh, standardized. There are certain people that will say, you know, uh, foot contact, you know, mid stance, terminal stance, um, push off and whatnot. Whereas as opposed to Los Amigos uh, uh, standardized language, which is the gait pattern. So we've looked at all this. We have all this data on it. But you're saying the same thing. We just have to understand that we and we, I would we're, even, we're saying would the same even, thing. Yeah. And I, I would even um, I would even venture to put out that. If as you, because like I said, I'm not nearly as well versed in this in this right. um, terminology and whatnot. Like I know how to explain it, and I know right. how, how I feel it. And like I said, I could testify as well as far as my experience with it. However, I would even just say that if as you dive into it and hear what these guys are saying and listen to what they're saying as far as their content, like you will notice the differences. Even like not even in just how to describe the language, but as far as philosophy as as, as the pattern, because they they're. There are things that there, you know, like you get to these points where the, where you'll get that that stopping point. Like, okay, hold on, that's not that's not what I was told. Well, I'll, I'll look at their book, but I, I, I'm I'm board now, certified. So now, now, even going to the what you said about the lat, when I first discovered Wag Method, that was the first thing that he honed in sure. on, particularly with the lower lat, because he sure. said that that's the connection between the um the lower body and upper body. There's a there's a communication that happens there, and that well, we, he calls them your coils. But when you when you're able to prime and activate your lower lat. It can help reduce injury long term is the WEC method philosophy. Mm-hmm. So if you like when we when I was when I was in WEC method, when I learned the the process, one of the first thing we do is called a coil or a primer where you're pulling the you're bringing the elbow towards the hip and it's activating and priming that lower lat, which would set you up for in their theory more for for activity and you, it would prime you a little bit better for activity as opposed to not having that area. But you see, that's the, that's what I mean. That's the example. So, like, you have what's called myofascial slings. You have the kinetic mm-hmm. chain. You mm-hmm. have um, chains. You have trains. You have coils. So, there, you see, a lot of different people, schools of thought, uh, utilize different language, which really, which really symbolizes the similarities between. I would also say that, and I don't know if it's from your, if you have the same experience, but I will say when anybody has, like, a fracture and they have internal fixation, so they have, like, a plate and screws in them, they they tend to always, from my perspective, I see that they always have pain, and it's like a chronic pain that they can't. And they're perfectly functional, and that's the difference, right? There's a difference between functional and idealistic or optimal function. But functional is they can get by, all right, as opposed to optimum function. But it's this chronic pain, and physicians used to take out those plates all the time. They do it more so for the ankle, um, and not so much for the elbow, the wrist, the shoulder. Uh, the femur anymore, the hip, uh, because they just don't want to risk infection. Mm. But metal and bone are two different things. Bone is highly flexible. Bone loads and disperses energy, mm. and it bends, whereas metal doesn't bend as much. It's very rigid. And so from my perspective, I think, from what I've seen anecdotally, is that the majority of people that have those plates removed after they've uh, undergone bone healing, they tend to do so much better just from the fact that they don't have the pain and the rigidity of those joints. Yeah, absolutely. I even when I was working with him, particularly that first little phase when he had the plates removed for a few months, that and I always I used to call them phantom pains. It's like this there is healed. Like, you know, like we we gave it the time as far as 
you know, the doctor cleared him as far as the bone healing and whatnot. Um, but he was still like, man, like, Cody, like I, f- I feel this. I feel this. I, and he could do stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Just fine. Like yeah. functionally speaking, like he could do the movements. We would stop because of the, the but pain. But he was pain. It was painful. Um, but even like that, like the, if, when we did the, when we did those, if he, if he were to do like certain types of movements, certain types of movements would, would aggravate it and certain types of movements wouldn't. Um, he doesn't have them now. And this is probably, he's probably like a year and a half removed from that plate being taken out. Uh, procedure, but what I I can say that even for him now, like uh, adopting these these sound patterns, I've seen the shift. One, him go from being flat footed. We literally just the other day, he's like, coach, like I got an arch now, you know. And the kids like mm-hmm. he's the fastest he's been. Like he's he's moving more fit. He's the most efficient. He's his. Well, yeah, you've developed his posterior tibialis. Mm-hmm. The posterior tibialis goes behind the the ankle, the the on the inside, the inside ankle, and then you have another group of muscles called the fibularis muscles that go on the outside of the outside ankle and they work as a stirrup essentially. Mm -hmm. And they work together as a team, both to absorb energy when you land on the foot and to exert energy or to keep the joint together and stable. So it's not wonky, wobbly, or gives out like rolls laterally or uh, immediately, but they work together as a team. Sometimes though, however, there's an imbalance there. One group is doing more work. And so it's tighter and more taut and more powerful than the other. Sometimes one tissue just is, needs to catch up. It's what we call hypotonic. So they, they don't have the uh, tone, the firmness of the muscle and the activity of the muscle to, uh, to maintain the integrity of the joint. So by developing the posterior tibialis, not only are you allowing that tissue, and you've created what's called a resting tone, you've increased the kid's resting tone by making that muscle tighter and hypertonic, meaning a little firmer, right? That's what exercise is supposed to do. So what it's going to do is going to literally lift up the arch. It's going to secure the joints and the foot when, and by providing more stability. He'll have better balance with this. Oh, yes, it absolutely has. This, this, perform- but I think that. that would be incumbent upon the, having the better balance when well, he's moving right. throughout space. But I'm speaking to this mm-hmm. tissue. So there's like different, there's a bunch of different ways to like get this tissue. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, you, if you orient it towards what we're talking about, uh, you're going to have better balance and just in the sense that you've developed this tissue. What it'll also do is this tissue helps you with the push-off or terminal stance. So it helps you propel your body forward. So you're going to be faster if you've developed that tissue. And it sounds like that's what you've done through this method, through this uh, methodology. Yeah, among other things, but yeah, yeah most definitely. Well, there's, there's, Particularly there's, for him yeah. as right. with, with, with what was going and on This with him. might be the most efficient means of doing that with him, but there's, it's, this is like mixed martial arts. There's 20 different schools of thought mm-hmm. and uh, you have to find the most efficient, the most uh, uh, motivating, the most uh, beneficial uh, school of thought that works for that patient, just like we do. You know, mm-hmm. does Pilates help people? It does. Do yoga help people? It does. But not everybody's going to respond to Pilates. Not everybody's going to respond to yoga. Not everybody's going to respond to Olympic uh, lifting. Not everybody's going to respond to parkour fitness. There's a difference there. With Olympic lifting, they do, they do emphasize, you know, squaring your feet and weight bearing through your heels, which is a completely different way to move your body. And it does not carry over towards functional. Uh, they call it reverse travel. movement in, um, in Gota. They and does it call it reverse movement? They call it reverse movement because of how the hip drives forward in, uh, in space. Yeah. So but it sounds like you found the means in which you could help this kid, which is excellent. But now excellent. I, I using him as an example, but like the, uh, you know, he's, he was, he was my client before I owned a gym. Sure. Now I train like people and this is the entire 
when they come in the 45 minute functional classes. So even with high Joe, when you were, um, when you saw me before elements of it, that wasn't the entire basis of the training, but elements of it was there because I was one of the coaches there and right. would put into the programming. Now it's the entire basis of my program because I have, I have a gym now. No, so that's I, great. But yeah. we need, we need allies as a physiotherapist. We, I, I need you. I need you, you know, cause there's some patients that, you know, the insurance runs out and they need somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay. In addition, there's some people that need a transition. They want to get back to an active lifestyle and they're in a transition. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's some people that need additional help that I just, that I just don't have time to offer. Or I don't, maybe I don't have the know-how to offer the help. Uh, and there's some people that they, they become motivated, they're excited and they want to have a more enriching life and they need you because, you know, how many times have we been offered, Hey, you come to my house privately Ooh. and work with me. Could you, do you know anybody? And, and, you know, as, as a former strength and conditioning coach, um, I don't have a lot of allies in the PT world. And I've met a lot of PTs, uh, physical there. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, personal trainers who, uh, don't hold this mantle that you have mm-hmm. that don't understand things they they're going by boy uh bro science mm-hmm. or what does men's health say right mm-hmm. so we need you we need you so you might you're going to be a great ally for us and and transitioning patients who who can do more or need more beyond what we can offer at that time yes, so I'm, I'm glad that we've had this this discussion with absolutely you. yes sir um but you got another you got any other stories of how this program's helped people yeah um so now for me I'll I'll bring myself back into the mix as far sure. as what, what it's done for me personally. So, um, and I'll and kind of segue it off into the clients. The emphasis of the training and what it what it honed in for me, what it brought back the importance of, and I I think it was always there, but it put, it highlighted it more, emphasized it more, was the assessment phase. Right when when I when I when you intake a client, being able to properly assess them and know. Hey, this is where your starting point is, and mm-hmm. these are the results. Because, so like in in my industry, you know, you have the you have the coin, you know, phrases of fat loss and muscle gain. Like, because uh, I want to lose some fat, I want to gain some muscle. And while those are great goals to have, having that as just uh, having that as your focal point of your of your of your of your exercise, I think can yield you a lot of room for error as far as places sure. you end up landing. Right. Sure. And so what I liked about this protocol is that they basically, first of all, is like when they, when they, when they prescribe exercises to a client, it's all based off an assessment. So like for me personally, I'm going through it. Like as I'm even starting this certification, the first thing I did, I was like, yo, I got to fix myself. And like, I've been studying for a couple of years and like moving by these patterns and I've yielded the benefits of it. One of the things that I, I've had contact injuries where I've like, I've fallen off of stuff, you know, and like hurt my lower back and it kind of lingered. And, um, by virtue of that, I know my movement patterns had to, it changed. I wasn't walking the same as, right. I, as I did before the, before the contact injury or before it happened. And I've had non-contact injuries. I, I've torn my quad. Um, like I said, I was telling you about the, the shoulder tear, the shoulder pull. And I used to pull my hamstrings a lot, um, mm-hmm. particularly when I got into college. But I also, like I said, I was starting to draw that connection between the this types of movements and patterns that I was doing in the weight room. And then coming back to the track, it, it, the, the, I wasn't, when I look back at it, I was like, okay, like there was a, there was a dissimilarity or a dissyncrity between what I was doing in the weight room and what I was doing on the track. What do they, when, do they say anything about shoes? Absolutely. What do they say about shoes? The flatter, the better. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. That you want to, because you want to feel what your feet are doing to the ground, um, how you're responding to the ground. Okay. Uh, so like, it's a, um, I, I, like I said, I, I make it arts artful as far as the language, but I, I said that I want to respect mother earth when I, when I load weight into her, when I, when, when, when I, when I push energy into mother earth, I want to do it in a respectful way. And so that's why when they like the term bow, like traditionally we think bow legs, right? But when, when the no, shape, I know what you're saying, right? right I know what you're saying, the, 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 yeah. right? So when I and I always draw this analogy when I'm because it, it, the language connects people, right? So when I'm when I'm explaining to even my athletes, and I'll show you like some before and afters. I, I I've done a week of this go to with uh practice with with a couple of clients, and I'll show you just what like the results that they've gotten just from their mm -hmm. their resting squad and whatnot, but um. When I, I use the, the analogy of Eastern culture, right? When you greet somebody, like you, you bow, B-O-W, you bow. It's respectful to bow. And I was talking to my, these, these boys, they're, they're younger, they're in, they're in middle school, um, early, late, early and late middle school, two brothers. And um, I said, hey, you know, in Eastern culture, which is, that's actually where they're, they're from. Um, I said, in Eastern culture, in Eastern tradition, what, what is it considered if you don't bow when you greet someone? And they said, it's disrespectful. And I said, that's how B-O-W bow if I am introducing my weight into or my energy into Mother Earth, oh, I and I'm saying. and I don't bow, and I'm then I'm disrespecting Mother Earth, mm -hmm. and and if if you disrespect Mother Earth long enough, over and over and over again, because we're taking ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand steps a day, add that up over a year, there's a there's a cumulative effect of that. So even like the language, how I say not it, to the planet though, to your body, to me, yeah, okay. because yeah, because sure. the, the earth is gonna be earth, right? Well, the earth is, she got, she got, she she's made, she's created, she's got her energy. How am I, how am I receiving and using that energy mm -hmm. that fr from her? But in yeah. something mm -hmm. you said earlier though, when you're looking at indigenous individuals, people, they don't load with the heel, the heel strike. No, midsole. Okay. And, and mid, mid, exactly, mm -hmm, midsole, mm -hmm. midfoot. And right? even, but the, if you look at their pattern, right? And like I said, I even go to Amish because. In this video, he he analyzed them, and their only their modern accommodation isn't the chair so much as the, it's just the footwear, right? Mm -hmm. So you you will mm -hmm. notice some some idiosyncrasies like from from person to person, but the vast majority is completely different than you look at our population. Mm -hmm. And when I assess, like I'm doing like this, once you see it, I can't unsee it, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing this running analysis of like everywhere I go, and it's where like I'm looking, I'm like, oh wow. And I've even doing the math in my head, I'll see, uh, I'll out of a hundred, I'll see three. Yeah. Three that has this like this has this right. natural spiraling pattern to the movement, and the rest are like this. But they're this. pro. They're pro barefoot. The barefoot movement that's been um, a big. Thing I would I would definitely say so. Yeah. Um, the even like the like the shoes that I have on now, there are, I've gotten some like I got some feedback about them. It's like hey, like the 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 um the shoes that you're wearing, they kind of lift up on your on your big toe a little bit because of just how they're created. But they're generally good shoes because of how how much they have a zero drop on them. Zero drop. These yeah. Are, yeah, they're called zeros. These yeah. are these called zero oh, shoes. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, you have. I didn't even yeah. notice. I like zeros. Yeah. So, so, so um, they, they based it off of the indigenous tribe. Uh, uh, was it the, um, is it the uh, Mexican Indian uh, now, uh, runners? This one, uh, what zero, zero did? Zero. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, out, so. out, out, out west. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah, yep. I believe so. Mm -hmm. Which you know. And they were like these people like they'll run up, they'll jump up and run a marathon or something like that, uh -huh. like no problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. They, they do it in sandals. But in sandals. Like, and in, yeah. It's in flat, thin, flat shoes. But they're but they're great runners. They're very fast and this company is a great company the shoes extremely comfortable it's mm -hmm. easy just slip your foot in you can go as soon as i put them foot. on i i could i could immediately feel and but even when i got into this the training paradigm of it the first thing i did is i went on amazon i got me like a, a pair of 10 taller shoes that were 
flat and a lot more ergonomic for what I needed to do mm-hmm. and how I wanted to use my feet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, if I have a proper insole put in these shoes, you know, something that, cause they don't come with good insoles, but if I put something that's a, a good, f- nice flat, but you know, insole that helps me to absorb the energy well, um, I noticed an immediate difference. I was like, yeah. man, it's a ten dollars shoe versus you know nothing against Nike, but versus like a hundred and thirty dollar pair of Nikes. I'm like, right. my feet and my connect chain feels a lot better. Now translating that into the movements and the stuff that I'm teaching people in class from an anecdotal perspective, like I'm seeing how like how much of more of a struggle it is for them to mm-hmm. accommodate these patterns and whatnot when they're in these shoes that are higher off the ground and more cushiony or allows that the uh the weight just to just sink into the into on the inside yeah sure it's years and years of learning a motor absolutely and we see patients all day long who have uh you know ankle and foot uh problems all all day long for Mm -hmm. you know years and years and years and a lot of that is attributable to their footwear you know a higher heel which most shoes have a higher heel so they're like you know yeah that heel left mm -hmm. is fun yes so their achilles tendon changes and degenerates they have tight calves or posterior compartments and now they have there's a lot that they lose the posterior tibialis and they lose the posterior tibialis because now they're putting in arch support so if yeah. you're putting something external to support your that, arch exactly. you can't support it yourself exactly. so, you, you, so we're saying the, the same premise, thing yeah. the premise and the the, exactly. the goal and what we're trying to extinguish and attack is like we're, we're attacking the same things that's right um i would even invent, go on to say like the the people that that have those that that footwear um you could you could look you can even look at how like the the footwear closes their toes in. That's right. right. You know, so right. like now they can't even allow their toes to naturally spread. How we would do like how you're able to do in the zero shoes or when you like said about those the runners. Well, if you look at indigenous tribes, their their feet literally look a, like hands. Yeah, yeah, I would say they call it a toe splay, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So even like I, when I look at my toe splay, I'm like, oh, like it's it's okay, but I can do better. <laughs> like I, like I, it's always a challenge for me to like say how can I enhance this process? Right. Um. One of the, so like in in the assessment, that's what we look for, and that, so we do a I we do a three movement screening i'm not sure because i'm not officially go to certify yet mm-hmm. i don't know all the elements of it but i'm working towards that but what i run at my facility is that i will not train somebody you cannot get in front of me for an exclusive session or a semi-exclusive session if you have not been assessed no because how can i know good. how can i know what to prescribe you and what to what to give to you right. as, a, as a client right yes you want to lose weight right cool like we can we can coach you that i can help you with that but before i give you movements to do why would i give you a movement and not know what your body's dysfunctions and compensations are first. And so when I, when I, um, when, when I found this protocol, that's it's particularly good because white men, they didn't really have an assessment protocol associated with it, but go to, that's what they, that's what they honed in on. It's like, we're, we're all about like, let's look at your body and how you exist as is. And then how can we help you accommodate a more natural pattern the way that nature will have you. But that's move. the responsible thing to do because you're talking to these clients, you're talking to them about improving certain aspects of their life. And how do you determine the improvement if you're not objectively measuring it? Correct. And there's many professions out there that talk about that, but they don't objectively measure. Instead, they sell mm-hmm. to their patients or their clients. And their clients will just say subjectively, oh, this, this, and this, and this. But there is no data. There is no objective measurement to corroborate those so-called feelings. Absolutely. Right? And then once you once you see the proof is in the pudding a little bit, now it gives you a little bit more more motivation to continue or to do more. Or like you said, you know, am I splaying? I could be a little bit better. It, it really makes you want to go. It gives first. you a spectrum to, to be on, right? Mm-hmm. Like not yeah. like and and also it's like um, for 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 them it quantifies things, right? Because if you see, and like like I said, that so going back to where the benefits that I've seen of implementing this training, mm-hmm. I've been I've I ran the first the first big type of gym 
job that I had here was a was a fat loss studio. They 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 call themselves a fat loss studio. I'm not calling them that. They call themselves a fat loss studio. And the whole premise was to help people lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. Come in and get your thirty minutes of exercise. We're gonna help you lose weight, right? Which yeah, that's cool. But what I would notice is that like people walk in like this. They lose 30 pounds and they walk out 30 pounds lighter, just like this, mm-hmm. right? And then I look at the dichotomy of, in the contrast to where I'm at now, it's like, yeah, people lose the weight because it's a formula. Like if you, if you get- Well, it's them, a perk. It should be a perk. It should be a side effect. Absolutely. Of, but it's a, it's a formula for Like if you could, if you, if, if it's exercise and diet, exercise and diet, exercise, if it's proper and in the right numbers in the right area, you're going to lose weight and you're going to get, that's body composition all day. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I do that, which is one ball to juggle, and can I do this other part with enhancing movement and do both? And I feel absolutely, but I feel like this ball right here, to them, this is important. But if I could, if I know for me, this is the most important thing, and I can see if I, if I can allow the client to value this other side of it, then I'm really, we're on a winning path. Because now we could quantify, the, other than fat loss, right? We could quantify, hey, I'm walking out, and that's, that. see, yeah. that's the biggest marker for me when, when, it, when it comes to my facility, is that people are moving better. Our, our mantra is move better. Right. Even our assessment, I call it a move better screening, because the objective is, is that regardless of where you are, right? We can look at where you are, assess you, and give you a protocol to help you move better from wherever you start. You might be a great mover. Can you move better? Yeah. Right. You might be a poor mover, but can you move better? Your postures might be bad. Can it can it increase? Your posture might be really good. Can it get better? So you should have you should have considered physiotherapy, man, because that's exactly what, what you're doing is perfect. You know, let's work on human performance. Let's work on human uh, movement efficiency, and the side effects are going to be decreased heart disease, mm-hmm. decreased risk for diabetes, mm-hmm. possibly decreased uh, cancer. You're going to sleep a little bit better. You're going to lose some weight. Okay, a lot better energy. You have a lot more energy, a lot less lethargic. A lot more energy for your kids, absolutely for your loved ones. Yeah, you you don't you, mm-hmm. you don't the risk of you throwing your back out, picking your kids yeah. up. Like it's the the quality. All of those things quality of life. You right? still get and, it on with your spouse. Come on now, and now if you <laughs> and if you look at if I when I look at it from okay, does losing weight on its on a surface level, does sure. it do something? Yeah, it does, but it doesn't do all of those things, right. right? And it's and most of it is just like like you said, this it's a residue or a byproduct of what you uh, what we just said That's as right. far as focusing on the, the human biomechanic aspect of it. When I talk to people like about that about weight loss, I talk to them about like, yeah, you can lose weight if you if you're a cocaine addict. Yeah, start yeah. Doing yeah. crackheads are skinny. Yeah, <laughs> they're really skinny, like, right? I've never seen a fat crackhead. But how are you gonna you know how are you gonna feel about it, right? Right. So there's there's a whole other different array of things that you have to change. And that being said, there's other elements that you know we have to incorporate. You know, being that we're pretty much in the same business, right? There's a lot of psychology that goes mm-hmm. into it, a lot of cultural changes, a lot mm-hmm. of societal acceptance and and recognition. To, uh, especially when you try to change your life, um, your lifestyle to to like fit within the society's parameters. Um, and then you got the family situation that, that right. plays a big role and their role. So there, there's a lot to go on it. But I'm glad to hear. I'm I'm like very very enthusiastic to hear uh, you know a personal trainer, uh, somebody such as yourself as an ally. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm going to use you for my clientele for sure. I'm going to need your card after this. Yes, sir. I'm gonna, I, need a, I need a bunch of cards actually. Right, must have. So, but anyway, um, all right. So, what else should we go over? What should, should we talk about? Uh, I mean, MMA was thrown out there quite a bit today, and there is a big fight tonight. Oh, who you, who you got? Fights. Yeah. So I love it, man. You know, we just watched the movie. You know, uh, you don't mess with the Zohan. 
And the whole time it's like, you know, there's there's 30 terrorists in there and they all have, you know, AK-47s and there's a tiger, you know, that hasn't eaten for a week. And, and, and Adam Sandler goes, so let's go. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the first, I'll tell you, the first fight that I'm looking forward to is Nico, hometown Cape Coral. Yeah, you got to go. So you got to go. Nico. Yeah, he's on the undercard. He's on the on the preliminaries. He's, not he's the had early a rough go lately, man. I hope he's he got four. Up. He's got man, four he, losses. But he looking good though. Yeah, I, I think so. I he's he got four up. losses. He's coming off a draw with with a Hall of Famer with with Cerrone, with Cowboy Cerrone. You know he want he's hung he's got to be hungry he's got to be hungry yeah. to, to and Cowboy's on the way down he's on the way Cowboy's down Cowboy's great though he's, but that's yeah. okay and that's still okay always, even, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's dangerous man but yeah. hey, still so, so shout out to in, Nico man he is the underdog but um I I think he's gonna win I think he's gonna pull it out I hope I hope he was focused in his training yeah because I feel like when I watch him fight sometimes he gets a little bit just like gets a little off unfocused and he enjoys getting hit it yeah. looks like it he enjoys yeah, getting hit yeah like Some he's a fight he's a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> some cats, some that's why they fight. They they you know like Nate Diaz. You see, he doesn't yeah. smile. Nuh-uh. Does not smile. He's a ever. fighter. That's you, another example. Exactly. You punch you him have, in the you face. Have your martial artists, but then you got uh, your like your fighters, like yeah. like, like, like like a Kimbo Slice, slice type. type. You yeah. know, like usually no, no, no. he'll be doing. You gonna be there to, for for the punches. But the know? Diaz yeah. brothers are special. <laughs> yeah, they don't smile ever. Yeah, and they get punched in the face. They get cut underneath the eye. They bleed. The blood's trickling in their mouth. Now they're happy. Yeah. Now they're yeah. smiling. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now they they're having more. fun. You're yeah. right, exactly. Yep. They're yep. like fucking sharks. Man. <laughs> yep. but, okay, so we're going for Nico. Who else are we going for? So after that, the next one I like, um, is it O'Malley? Um, yeah, uh, he's he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I'm anticipated to win there. Okay, who's he going up against? I don't remember. I, I don't remember who he's who he's fighting. Has he fought? Has he fought since he came back? Has he come back from that injury and had a fight yet? If not, he needs to talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's let's work That'd on be, that. Yeah, that would be a great let's, example. Let's yeah. partner in that nutrition and that, in that physio, and then work on performance enhancement. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, well. I what was his injury? I, I don't. I remember he got hurt. I was. It was, I watched it the was fight. off of a strike. Um, I, and I believe it was Did a he, leg kick. His his uh his tibia folded. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. We've but seen that a lot. It, it was gruesome. Yeah. It was gruesome. And uh, and like man, Sugar, Sugar Saint is a G man because like he walked that off, dude. Yeah. He was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was like it's just a flesh wound. And I'm like, yeah. dude, I am your fan. <laughs> That's it, bro. <laughs> yeah. He's like Bruce Willis at the end of Die Hard. All banged up. Yeah. Still got a strut. Yeah, you know? man. Right, yeah. What, what, just look gangsta lean. But who are you going for, McGregor or Poirier? Come on now. Oh, man. It, it's tough. I, I've... I'm Poirier all the way, man. I'm going to go with Poirier, bro. Yeah. I'm a po- I, yeah. Is that who I'm you're rooting in, for? Or do you think no, it's no, going to no, win? I'm rooting for McGregor. Okay. Like, no. My, 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 my mind says me Poirier, but my heart wants McGregor. I'm not a McGregor fan. I've never been a McGregor fan. I don't like... His, I understand the reason why he trash talks. He's got his money in the bank. I don't care for his attitude to the other fighters. I don't yeah. mind. I understand the, the, the promotion. Do you think it's all the theatrics? Do you think that's like... Well, I think a lot of that's him, too. He's been like yeah. that since he came I, out. I think so, too. You know? Yeah. But, you know, he learned a lot from Mayweather and being an asshole and making money and generating that uh, promotion and that publicity. But, you know, he does it in such a disrespectful manner and he keeps pushing and going towards yeah. that fighter. And so when you see when you see these fighters fight him and they're like, what? Now what? Now yeah. what, bitch? I like that. So Poye, man, that guy's got fucking heart. Yeah. And really I like those, I like the guys oh, that have heart. He's such a good mm-hmm. he's an efficient, effective fighter. That, and he gets he's getting better. 
Yeah, yeah he's, he's on the up. I, 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 McGregor, I don't want to piss him off because Lord, Lord knows he keeps the shit, <laughs> the shit out of me. But I'm telling you, but with him, it's like Ronda Rousey a bit. They're great athletes. They're out there. But I feel like there's only a couple of things they can do. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I feel like a guy like Poye, he he says, all right, I'm not efficient at this. I'm going to get better at this. Right. Well, I'm not good at that right now. I'm going right. to get better at that. If, and that like this, I love those kind of fights. If, I had, if, if I'm in a street fight and I got to have one next to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay Poye. Oh, are you? Okay. Well, I don't care. Oh, yeah. they, they both yeah. like the taste of blood. So yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, right. as far as like, who's gonna right. finish this and make it? I, I'm, I'm gonna. That's what I'm saying. My, my yeah. mind. If I, if I, if I'm using my Falcons, I'm gonna say like Poirier. But I'm just, I like Conor McGregor. Like, I like that about him. Yeah. Like all that, because that's what drew me in more to like the UFC. Like, it was, it was cool on one side because like I, like my first. UFC person was like Anderson Silva, right? Yeah, like that was that's who got me into into it's UFC, lighter. and I felt like John Jones was like the next the next phase yeah. of Anderson Silva, and they both were very humble. Like from from like the mm-hmm. the press standpoint, like people had that thing about John Jones and his ads, but like honestly, like always loved how like he's you know after a win he was never like in your face or anything mm-hmm. like that, or even in press conferences, like it was just he if you were poke he he kind of respond, but you know. I, I I always was towards that, but then when I saw McGregor and I saw like how much like that just the tension when you yeah. add that into the mix. I mean, because like you have these you have these other facts like these are men, these are grown men, like mm-hmm. like testosterone filled men. So it's like yeah, great guys, they had a nice game of life. That's cool to an extent, but McGregor just like no no no, you guys wrong, man. I came in I came in with uh, GSP and way back okay. Hoist. See, GSP was a respectful fighter. He was always respectful, and that, you, that's what I'm saying. That's Hoist Gracie, same thing. Hoist Gracie, yo. Yep, you yep. know, unassuming people yep. are talking shit, you know, like Ken Shamrock and whatnot. And Hoist just fucks him up. GSP, you got people t- actively talking shit to him, and he's just quiet. Still, he's a good yeah. guy. And beats you. And beats you. Beat you. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I like, I respect us. Like, BJ Penn, huge BJ Penn. Yep. Love the guy. I love all of those. Uh, even Liddell and dude, like, Ramp- like, I would say Rampage was like the more the, more like the, but even him, like, Rampage wasn't like nasty, disrespectful. But he could have been. He, I feel like Rampage could have gotten even better, but I feel like he kind of, you know, you know, kind of took some time off. Like BJ Penn, BJ Penn yeah. could have been even better yeah. had yeah. he worked at it. But somebody like GSP, he's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna get better and better and better." Yep. And then he went out when he knew he was going, he's gonna go downhill. So like, when you look at like Poirier and McGregor, if I'm in a street fight and I need somebody to have my back, I know Poirier is gonna have my back. So yeah. I want to fight him with me, right? Yeah. But if I'm gonna fucking party afterwards, yeah. I'm hanging oh. out with McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm so, just saying. So you know? before, before the fight and and, and the fight, Poirier. Yeah. After the fight, McGregor. Oh, we're going out for fucking yeah, drinks, man. Yeah. We're going to lose. You know he's gonna party. Oh, it's gonna be a good time. You know. Yeah, yeah. Whether we end up in jail or not, it's a good story. It's gonna be a story to tell. Yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, All right, so yeah. we got Poirier. Who do you got now? Um, I, I, I'll, I'll play. I'll play the other side. I'll, play, I'll go McGregor. I'll McGregor. go with McGregor. I want right. to see McGregor win. Um, I think Poirier is more, a little more hungry. I think he's more like focused. McGregor's already done it all. He's done it all multiple times. Multiple. He might be going down. Weight. He might be coming. That's what I'm saying. I think Poirier's on his way up. Yeah. And McGregor's yeah. like either but McGregor's like, like fuck that. I'm 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 not losing my spot. I'm coming back. Yeah. Maybe. He, yeah. It, yeah. It just depends on how serious he is. He's tough to read. How yeah. serious is he? I, I mean, right, right, right. he's he's serious, but he's also like over the top. So yeah. everything he says is over the top. Everything he does looks over the top. Yeah. So if he says I'm coming back, I'm back. Maybe. Is he really? Yeah. Or is he just well, like, yeah. over the top back? You know what? I'm excited. I'm excited to see Naganyu fight uh, uh, 
Oh man, what's his name? Derek. Um, uh, Derek Lewis. Yeah, that's gonna be a brawl. I my, my boy is Naganyu. I like Derek Lewis a lot. The guy's fucking awesome. Yeah, I think Naganyu takes him. Naganyu yeah, is most my definitely. guy. Most man. definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't put nothing against him. But he's the no. same thing. He's a guy, you know, humble origin, yeah. tough story, survived a lot. He said, "Yeah, yeah his story was incredible was when great, I found yeah. out. Man, yeah. yeah, poor guy. But that tells you how hungry he must be. Yeah. Like, but, not, but, but even that too, like, like that, that type of when you have that type of story and background, yeah, you gotta drive to get you to the top. But once you get there, right? Because like you get, like you said, like you get that success. I'm here. I got the belt. I got the title. I'm on the top. Yeah, but you gotta be more hungrier to stay clipped. at the top. Mm -hmm. He got clipped by Lewis mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. first fight. Okay, and he comes back and he fights Mikovic, right? Not Mikovic. It's a uh, I can't say, I can never say his name, right? What, how do you say it? Who, uh, who, Stipe? Uh, Stipe, yeah. Yeah, Miocic. Miocic, yeah. He fights Stipe, right? And he, and he loses that first fight. And he goes out there and he's like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to yeah. develop myself. Yeah. And, and he's still a humble and a good guy. Yep. Yeah. And yep. that's the kind of fighter that I'm going to fucking pull for. Yep. So I'm hoping that he dominates the heavyweight division. I, I think so. he will. I think I he's so. probably going to retire with the belt. I don't know that anybody's going to be able to beat him. I think he oh, is man. that good. He's still that hungry. And he's just learned so much and so much from all the fighters that he's faced. And he's come back and turned around so. and beat him. He fights Lewis. We'll see how that fight yeah. goes. And then he's got your boy, John Jones. I was about to say, he's he's, he's, as well. who's John Jones going to fight for, for his first heavyweight fight? I don't know if they no, have. No, he, they're pushing for him to fight Nagano. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. So it'll be maybe after this one. John he should Jones fight somebody before Nganu. That's a big jump. He's got to see that jump. Yeah. He need to pay these people, man, so we can oh, see these fights. Nganu, <laughs> man, I, I don't know if John Jones can beat Nganu. The guy is just a natural mm -hmm. heavyweight, and he's just as hungry and just as good as John Jones. John Jones is a master. I understand it, but I. I think he's undersized. The last few Nagania. fights John Jones has had, I have not been super impressed. Like he didn't look, he, right. doesn't, he haven't yeah. been first. I yeah. he was my favorite, and you know it's it's hard too because he set a high bar right out yeah. this gate for his career. So like we're seeing him dominate the people that yeah. we, like the, at the beginning of the conversation we were talking about like yo yeah. like, these are our heroes in MMA, yeah. and John Jones is slaying them. Just but uh, he's getting older and he's, he's still getting, partying like a motherfucker. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, maybe 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 go to bed at like eight o'clock the night before yeah. the fight. I'm telling you, I'm doing it the whole week before. Get some sleep, man. Yeah. You know, eat well, stay fit, get some sleep, and then see what happens. But yeah. Naganyu, I I I want the best for him now. I love that fucking yeah. guy. He's yeah, he's good awesome. people. Yeah, good. Yeah, you can tell yeah. a good hearted individual. You, it's the type of person you want to see him win. But that's kind of how I feel about Poirier. Like I yeah. I, I, I yeah. want to see him win. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, to be honest with you, I'll be happy if McGregor wins too. But uh, Poirier, I just there's something extra there. He's like the guy next door. He's yeah. like the guy that yeah. you know will help the old lady cross the street and pig grab somebody, you know, the old woman's groceries and carry out to the car. Whereas McGregor's slapping the the hot cashier on the ass, you know? <laughs> so, um, but that's the way to, Hey, okay. So besides that, you know, the Tyson Fury fight and Wilder fight has been postponed because of COVID. Yeah. But who do you guys have in that? I, will, I, I went for Wilder in the second fight. I'm but, mad. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying Tyson. Tyson is yeah. too much of a tactician. And after, to, like, to lose again. I, the way he got up on that mm -hmm. second fight, you know, like, it's like once he, once he got up after that, I have a hard time betting against the guy. You know, him showing that resilience, like to go he's a like, monster, man. Dudes on monster. Yeah. And like, he's deceptive too. I don't, I don't think any. Now, I think, is he going to fight Anthony Joshua first? No, I think they're yeah, going to they're still, gonna, they're gonna still, still do that. Yeah. 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 Like, 
I, was, yeah. I can't wait. I got to put. I had to put my. I, I wouldn't even bet on something like that. I can't wait. I, for I can't even bet on something like that because, like, Wilder always has that. Uh, well, he'll knock the fuck out of you. Exactly. So you can't. You can't discount that. But you know? he's, not a, he's not a boxer. That's nope, the thing. But he can knock. The, he can knock you out, and that'll win a fight. Yeah. You know, so it's like, and you don't know when it's gonna come. You, you know. You know what I think Tyson's weakest aspect is himself. His, yeah. his head. And I think he says that That's too. it. Yeah, yeah. He does say that. Yeah. But other than that, the guy is too fucking smart yeah. and too fucking good to lose to Wilder. You know, that first yeah. knockdown yeah, yeah, and yeah. the first fight, that pissed him off. The second fight, he clearly won. Mm-hmm. And then this third fight, I think he's going to just say, separate. I'm going to yeah. take yeah. it. Yeah, I think then, so too. And then I think he'll fight Joshua. And that'll be a great fight. That'd be, Josh a, that'd be good. a sick fight. Yeah. And I like Wilder. I love Wilder's story and everything. Yeah, me too. But me too. He, he's got to become, I want to see him S- be a better boxer. Throw the fucking jab. Get your yeah. hands up. Yeah. Throw a jab. Set up your punches. But, he, but that boy, that right though is nasty. Oh, it's, it's just good. It's, it's good, good to see, see man. It's right? like people, you grow, you grow up watching like the heavyweights fight, like the old school heavyweights. Yeah. Like that's reminiscent, but he just don't box like them. Like his, 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 his boxing isn't on the same level. But that's my heart though. My heart is to go to the, the boxer and the, not the slugger, yeah. except for Ali and Frazier. I love the shit out of, out of Frazier. Yeah. I really do. Even though Ali, that's the kind of if I was Foreman a boxer, was my that's dude, the fighter I want to be. But like, but Foreman, just, yeah, I love Foreman, man. Yeah, bro. That motherfucker, he was a he was a goddamn beast back yeah. in the day. Yeah, he was. He was. Goddamn. But Muhammad Ali says, "I got something for you. Yeah. I'll, I'll smart your ass." Yup. And he did. Yeah. And and but you know, but that goes to show you, like like you said, like being a technical boxer, it goes a long way than than the, a lot longer than the power aspect. I agree. It. And yeah. that's I'm 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 a big fan of uh, Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah. That motherfucker. And that was back in the day when they would fight every, like, tw- two fights a week. Yes. Or every two weeks. Not get this about Sugar Ray, right? The, what got me into, into like, my fitness parents. So, like, every every day. Do you remember ever doing the rope flow? Yeah. We were doing? Yeah, yeah. So, rope flow is this is the premise. Like, you know, typically, like, you jump through the rope, right? Okay. So, we, the rope is a little bit heavier. Not heavy, heavy. But, like, it's a little bit it's thicker about, you know few more millimeters thicker than on a typical jump rope All right. and um weck method and on uh david weck he would sh- and i i have this on my on my social media page but you would see this picture of sugar ray and he would be using the rope but he wasn't jumping through it right he was timing it and caden and cadencing his his patterns by by flowing with the rope and that's how the premise of rope flow like it started to mm. like so now it's like a community of it and a lot of people do it but we do it every day at my gym like so our warm-up consists of rope flow and we're moving we don't jump through the rope we move around the rope and allow yeah. the rope the rope to move around us but it allows the body to use those those sling patterns like we like we want in our athletes that use those and when you punch you're using your slings when you're running you're using those slings you know so when we do rope flow we want to we want to in and, and it's a it's a little bit more superficial than doing like a deeper activation but it gets the nervous system going in those aspects but you know what though i think i think when i think about physiotherapy when i think about training and fitness i think the old school shit holds a lot of weight and i think that if you're not using that today you're doing yourself a disservice yeah you we leave really it do. we leave mm-hmm. it behind and then we forget about and it you know something else what you may want to consider looking into is look into primal fitness i heard Le- primal. legitimately yeah because you, what you're talking about with uh, um, the the go to method is similar to primal fitness, and that's where these crazy motherfuckers go out, you know, shirtless into the wilderness, and they're doing pull ups on a, on a tree. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. What? They're doing squats over logs on a river. Yeah, you know. And so check that out. It's really kind of cool. But I think there's a lot of application to primal fitness and uh, to rehabilitation and performance enhancement. And I think, like I we've talked about this before, 
I think some of your best athletes are mountain climbers, parkour athletes, gymnasts. They just go to another level, man. Mm-hmm. They're not gymnasts. You know how people are so big and bulky. They don't have any flexibility. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. gymnasts, man, fucking flexible and strong. And shit. strong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they yeah. didn't choose between the other. They, they kept agree. both. Yeah. That's why Bruce Lee is the is the man. Yeah. He yeah. could like lift like two or three times his body weight versus, yep. you know, the the greatest power lifters of all time. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, cool. I'm with you. So you're you're going for Tyson, I take it. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go for Tyson. If I, mean, I had to, if I had to pick. You're gonna go contrarian but I'm gonna put again? money on it. Uh, I'm gonna go wilder. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna put money on yeah. it. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm gonna let y'all put money on that yeah. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I just I cannot I can't discount Wilder's that right hand, man. Yeah. It's just no. you just don't know when it's gonna come. You know what I wanna see? I wanna see a third Canelo and Triple G fight. And I don't understand why they're not doing a third fight because yeah. in my opinion. Triple G won that first fight and won the second fight. And I think he got robbed. Okay, fine. Robbed. You think he got robbed? I, yeah, yeah, I think he got robbed in that second fight. I I watched that. I watched it with you. Mm-hmm. And come on, he just outboxed Canelo. Yeah. And for the judges to like give it to Canelo and strip him of not only of his undefeated status, but take away his titles, uh, it's fucking travesty. And yeah. tri- Triple G, man, that boy can fight. I yeah. like that boy. And he's another one that comes, I don't know if you know the story, but he comes from like the, I want to say the Czech Republic or like Croatia and his brother, his older brother is supposedly the better fighter. Wow. And he grew up like poor, hard times, struggled in his country to get to the United States. He loves America because of everything it offers. And he worked his ass off to become the boxer is today. So for me, you know, to see him get robbed like that, it just pisses me off. Yeah, but yeah. I want to see a third fight with Triple G and Canelo because I think Triple G, I, I think Triple G will come hungry. Oh yeah, yeah most up. definitely. Yeah, tear him yeah. up. I think it'd be like yeah. there'll be no question about it this time. I'm gonna fuck him up. Yeah. And, and I think Canelo is a great fighter. Don't get me wrong. I really think he's a great fighter. I would love to see that. You know, a third world war. That would be great. Anyway, for sure. All right, so I think we're good, right? Yeah, I think we're yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you want to put down any of your social contacts? Oh or yeah, most like that? definitely. Plug yourself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I plug you in. Which plug are we talking yeah, about? Now? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're not a plug. Just plug yourself. Okay, you know? okay. okay. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ken. That's K E N. Fully armed on on IG, and then I'm Ken Diesel on on Facebook, and then on YouTube, Flow Ken Flow. It's right. my YouTube handle. Okay. You write that down for us. We'll put a link on our uh, pages too for Sounds you. Sounds good. Most definitely. So you'll be good. Um, all right. Do you have any other questions or anything? No, no. And uh, website, if you ever want to check out my gym, is ATP Fitness. We're in Fort Myers, Florida. ATPfitness.life. Awesome. Okay. All right. Great. So this comes to the point where we're going to basically uh, let everybody know that we are attempting to monetize this podcast for a couple of reasons. We've got to afford the gel that allows uh you know joe over here to like keep his hair looking yeah it does not want to y'all can't yeah. might not see it but it looks good yeah, it, looks it looks good real yeah good. it does did you wake up like that bro no oh, no. oh it the, takes work yeah it's the gel and that. we can't afford it so uh-huh. or a mousse i don't know what the, the dry shampoo pomade there's a lot of cosmetic oh, yeah. there. okay but <laughs> old spice makes a pretty good pomade is that right yeah oh, apparently okay. I had no no idea before I cut my hair. It was like, okay, now what do I do? I got to find out what what works, what's going to hold my hair. I still haven't even figured it out. Uh, That's why why we need to make money on this podcast. Yeah. Is to keep you looking good. You got the ointment and your like peach fuzz over there. So 
No, I got no ointment. Oh, no ointment. No ointment for the peach fuzz. <laughs> no. You have like a little mustache comb, though. Saw it in the, the other room, I thought. I don't know what that, that was Maybe my toothbrush. Dog. I don't know. Oh, is that your toothbrush? Uh, so anyway, we're, we're looking to monetize this show to keep us alive and keep us going, but also to let you know that we want to support cystic fibrosis, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and also spinal muscular atrophy. So 25% of our proceeds are going to go directly to those associations so they can foster research or to uh, uh, help ch- families in need um, who are struggling with those disabilities. So hopefully one day there's a cure um, that you know, we don't have to worry about these horrible conditions anymore. Um, or, uh, you know, maybe it provides a resource for our families to, uh, get treatment that otherwise cannot, uh, get the treatment or tools that they otherwise need and can't get. So please, please, if you're listening and you're willing to donate a little bit on our Patreon account, please do so. So we can help support those associations. Um, as well as Joe's, uh, hair regimen. Hmm. Um, the, the other thing we want to do is we're going to, you know, this is uh, the middle of the year. We're going to continue this until the end of this year. Uh, we want to uh, pay homage and uh, send a shout out and thank you to those that inspired us. That includes Joe Rogan, Sean Carroll, Greg Lehman, Adam Meekins, Sam Harris. Uh, those guys have um, really inspired us to uh, to basically get the message out there, talk about the things that we're uh, proficient in and that we study, as well as interview the people that we find to be extremely interesting and, and knowledgeable in their fields. So uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. We appreciate thank everything you. that you've done. Yeah. Thank you yeah. very much. All right. I think we're good. It's a wrap, right? Yeah, that's a wrap. And wrap that shit up. And we're good to go. Especially for you. Now yeah. that the cannabis works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm right. joking. I'm joking. That's a joke. It's a chakra. <laughs> <laughs>